All right. Good afternoon. Fleetwood Mac, one of their all-time great songs, Little Lies. Thought it was appropriate given the topic today. I probably have to be careful of what I'm going to say or do. I'm going to get in trouble one of these days. Anyway, welcome all. It's really kind of amazing. I have no idea day to day whether I'm going to do a room or what we're going to talk about. The market always has given us something to talk about. So as you can tell by my tweeting activity today, I was kind of uh, busy. At any rate, um, I thought what we would do is listen together to the first few minutes of Kathy's interview. I think it's really revealing. Uh, Oil Guide, I don't know if there's anything you'd like to say initially. Um, you're usually very much on point, and I very much fancy your um, comments. So before we get into listening to the uh, replay of the interview, is there anything you'd like to say, Oil God? George, thank you for having me up. Uh, it's really nice to hear you. Honestly, your flavor for music must be just as good as your portfolio. Uh, I was fucking dancing like I haven't danced since pre-COVID. Uh, so that was fantastic. Um, no, listen, I'm just going to say a lot of the talking about makes a lot of sense. You know, market where, you know, you're going to buy the deal, play the ball. But as you can see, the price moment. And price momentum is what is going to govern the day. Liquidity is drying up. Money is no longer there. When cheap money is no longer there, people will present day free cash flow. You can tell everybody all day long you've got the greatest fucking business in the world, uh, and like Zoom, whether you want to actually pay for a subscription or not. If it's not generating present day free cash flow, and it is within its debt covenants and all of these other things that it doesn't need to distract investors from, you know, what you're, you know, from not actually receiving the cash flow the business invests. This business is structurally fucked in a rising rate market. So whether it's a NVIDIA, which is an excellent example of a business that's in every fucking ship, whether you own video games or, uh, you know, crypto bullshit, or you actually, you know, you're old enough to drive a car, which I'm sure some of the people on this thing are actually not. Uh, you know, NVIDIA is a great example today of earnings that beat both on the top line, both on the bottom line. But holy shit, look at what happened to that stock today. George, I'm going to pass it back to you and put my feet up. And No, uh, no, no worries. And by the way, before you go, um, before you put your feet up, I just want to call out and remind everyone of Oil God's uh, home run call. The only annoying thing was you didn't give us more advance notice that the earnings were coming up the next day. But Jesus Christ, talk about, you know, annualize that rate of return. I think it was, what, 20 percent in one day? I mean, wow. uh, George, yeah, we had we had we had shorted the stock only because to be honest with everybody on the call. I'm not a fan of options. I have no fucking clue how to time a thing. And so if you have conviction and I'm going to tell you for uh, full disclosure and I know my cousin and I'm happy to call him my cousin Three Aces, uh, is also in the same bucket. I'm also short Tesla. And I don't give a shit how long or how volatile this thing goes up and down. When you can see a business model is structurally impaired and supply chains are fucking every other business in the world, you'd be nuts to think, oh, this is the one that it won't. Believe me, it will. And so with Shopify, you just have to look at what's happening with small businesses. And with Shopify, you have to know that this is not, small businesses are no fucking guarantee. For anybody who started a business, anybody who knows somebody who's a baker, whether it's cookies or they make t-shirts or they knit sweaters, it's a lot of work. And you know what? When you're stuck at home and you have nothing to do during COVID, 
it's a brilliant idea to start a business. And when Shopify offers four, you know, upwards of four, the average four businesses for free to have websites for three to four months and hoping to convert at least one of them, no shit, they're going to have amazing growth in terms of their platform. And GMV, of course, will go up as a result of that. But again, inflation is going to come up and it's going to affect all those small businesses. And I'm going to tell you something. You know why the stock is going to continue to go down? As soon as the summer comes and Omicron is gone and they don't have their cousins and their friends to package their boxes and send them in the UPS store, I will tell you something. The stock is going to plummet because people are going to go back to getting real jobs or at least one half of their workforce is going to go back to getting real jobs. And these small business owners are all going to just go, you know what? This was fun for a few years. I'm fucking done. Unless you're, of course, you're all birds and you've kind of hit a home run. So, George, I'm going to pass it to you. And I have other ones and I will tell you them. But here's the deal. If you want other picks, you have to be respectful. And I want to take this opportunity as a platform to say, George Noble, people like three aces, they don't fucking need, they don't know you shit. So whoever's on this call listening to look for a tidbit or some comfort or some rationality as to what happened in the market, these people don't owe you a thing. They all have time. Some of us have less time on the earth than some of the others. So what I'm going to say is if you want these picks, join these rooms, be respectful. And if they join your room, Shut the fuck up and actually listen to them. You'd probably be a lot more wealthier today than not. So I'm going to pass it over to you, George. Very happy as an energy. You're the man. Thank you, man. Olga. I appreciate it. All right. So we're going to try something different today. Um, I've got the replay from the CNBC website of Kathy Wood's interview with Scott Wapner, who usually I don't like, but I thought he did a pretty good job today. And so I'd like, we've got three aces, Soheib, um, Marcellus, well, guide yourself. Anybody else who wants to come up, please raise your hand. But we're gonna, we're gonna. I'm not gonna play the whole thing. We're gonna stop it periodically and just talk through some of it. And this is less about making fun of Kathy Wood and more really trying to understand what's going on and what is she getting wrong. I mean, I thought today, you know, on one level, I feel sorry for her. She looked very broken. She looked upset. She's in a bad place. But on the other hand, here's someone who's made hundreds of millions of dollars through her reckless uh, investing style. And so I'm not really sure how much sympathy I, 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 I should have for her. Okay, with that, I'm going to start the replay and we're going to stop it periodically. Anyone who has a question, anyone on stage who wants to jump in, when I stop it, that's fine. Anyone else, let me get Tommy Thornton up here. Good to see you, Tommy. And we're going to wor- walk through, work through this. All right, so let me just find this here. Bear with me one second, boys and girls. Let's start it over again. Here we go. Mark Invest, Kathy Wood, might be the most influential investor of the past few years. She was one of the most successful, too, until the past six months. When many of the stocks she's most identified with plummeted to new lows, that upset has caused a barrage of criticism of her stock-picking prowess, her research, and record. Here now in a CNBC exclusive is Kathy Wood. She's the CEO and CIO of ARK Invest. It's nice to see you. Welcome back. Thank you, Scott. Happy to be here. Thank it's, you. It really is. It really is astounding, um, Kathy. When when we sit here and have this conversation today, one hundred percent of the stocks in the innovation ETF are in a bear market. Eighty-seven percent, eighty-seven percent are down more than forty percent from the highs. Those are incredible pullbacks. We have you. Okay, so stop. Eighty-seven percent of the stocks are down forty percent or more from the highs, or whatever Scott Wapner said. I mean, we don't need Tommy Thornton to tell us that, like, you're not supposed to own stuff like that. So I know we're all running around looking for narratives and trying to figure out the why. 
Let's just focus on the what. Something is wrong. Ms. Woods pretends she knows what's wrong, but clearly it's not working. We have been talking in this room for months about what's wrong. And so, but first thing, the portfolio with 87% of the stocks are down for more than 40%. To me, it's mind boggling that she hasn't really lost much in the way of redemptions. And as we'll soon hear in a few minutes, she claims in the last few weeks, she's taken in $500 million. To me, it's just craziness. Period of time today. And you can speak directly to a lot of investors in this interview. What do you tell them? How do you convince them to stay with you? Well, first of all, I'd much prefer to be uh, with you and um, holding our clients' hands and explaining what we think is going on uh, at this point in time rather than at the highs. And I, I think our biggest concern is that our investors turn what we believe are temporary losses into permanent losses. Now, uh, what's interesting from a... Okay, stop. Turn temporary losses into what we permanent losses. As I learned from uh, Mr. Lynch, my mentor early in my career, Mr. Market doesn't know and don't, doesn't care what your cost basis is. If ARC is going to fall another 50%, which I believe it will, you should be selling it regardless of whether you have an unrealized loss, you bought it in the last 18 months, or you have a gain, you bought it a few years ago. Conversely, if it's going to double from here, it doesn't matter whether you've got a loss in your existing position or you already have a profit and you're worried about messing up your cost basis because you're going to buy more at a higher price. So this anchoring thing, this temporary loss into a permanent loss, it's a loss. Whether you choose to crystallize it or monetize it is a separate issue. But her logic to me is completely flawed. All right, keep going. Before we get to the answer to your question, last year we did inflow. A lot of that was front, front and loaded. It was $17 billion. Uh, and in the last 30 days, uh, we are inflowing again, net inflowing uh, a little less than a half a billion dollars. Uh, so what we believe is happening is because we... Okay, so for everyone who keeps trying to call the bottom of the market, things you don't see at market bottoms... $500 million coming into the most speculative high beta funds that you could possibly imagine. I digress. We go on. Wait. Uh, because we are so transparent about what we're doing and because our research is so good, I think it is the best in the financial world when it comes to... Stop. Our research is so good. You know, I was being a complete asshole. I put those polls up there, and I urge all of you to go on my Twitter feed and fill out the polls. There were five Kathy Wood statements, and I put it up, uh, true or false, yes or no. The one which had the highest I call bullshit was ARC does the best research in the business. I think when I last looked at it an hour ago, 85% of people said no. I mean, what is she smoking? Innovation. I believe that there are individuals who are reading our research and saying, hey, this makes a lot of sense. Uh, I didn't know this. I did not know that there are, you know, five platforms involving 14 different technologies uh, that if we're right, are going to move from being valued in the equity markets, public equity markets at $10 trillion uh, to roughly $210 trillion. Stop. If you were at Fidelity Investments or Vanguard or Capital Group or any Wall Street firm, 
and you said our technologies or companies we're invested in are worth ten trillion and they're gonna be worth two hundred and ten trillion, they're gonna compound at forty six percent. I think you'd be in need of legal counsel. You can't say shit like that. But she does. I go on. Next eight years. That's a forty six uh, percent compound annual rate of return. There is one market that is getting this right. It's the private market. Last year, and you're right, we have had... Stop. There's one market that's getting this right, the private market. Read the public market, which trades every day and gets marked to market. That's the price. The private market's real simple. Don't mark it down. It's going to be kind of interesting coming up the next quarter because the fidelities and T. Rowe prices of the world who, by the way, in some of their public mutual funds, they own some of these privates, they're going to have to mark them down, and they will. And so someone wrote about this the other day. It's going to be really interesting to see what all the private equity and the venture guys do with their valuations when the mutual funds who own this stuff write it down 50%. So, you know, Kathy, she was saying something the other day. It just blew my mind. There's an arbitrage opportunity here that somehow the public market has it wrong and the private market has it right, and you should be buying the public stocks. Okay, let's keep going. Can decline if you look at the if you look at our peak, which was February twelfth of last year, so roughly a year ago. We uh, and you look to the trough, which we believe was January twenty seventh. Uh, that was a fifty seven percent drop. Uh, but if you looked at our uh, appreciation from the depths of the coronavirus to February 12th, that was a 358% increase. Uh, and so we're seeing a lot of analysis of our performance out there, which uh, is cherry picking, uh, you know, dates. And I was just given to you what has happened. Uh, and there's an endpoint sensitivity to these uh, dates. If you look at our returns on a five-year rolling basis, and what I mean by that is take monthly returns and do five-year rolling averages, we have outperformed both the S&P and the NASDAQ 100% of the time. If you take the same on a two-year basis, I have those numbers here, uh, we have outperformed uh, the S&P 500 90% of the time, and uh, NASDAQ 81% of the time. We've just been through a, a, a significant downturn, a correction relative to the peak. And we do believe that uh, innovation is in bargain basement territory. Okay, stop. So this was tweeted out already a month ago. If you look at the performance of ARC from inception, I believe it has now underperformed NASDAQ. And when you consider the higher beta and the higher volatility of this fund, that's a pretty staggering statistic. She has really added no value. She basically buys the highest beta garbage she can find, throws it against the wall, and let the chips fall where they may. I've said this too many times. If you just take a look at the Goldman Sachs index of um, loss-making companies, and I know Mr. Thornton has this up on his uh, Bloomberg uh, terminal, and just look at the performance of ARC against that. It's a carbon copy. So there's no skill here. She's just throwing shit against the wall and wants to see what sticks. Keep going. Just one other thing I'd like to add here. I, I went through the tech and telecom bubble. 
uh, and uh, know very well what that feels like. And what we, we learned was that there was way too much capital chasing too few opportunities too soon. And the internet was, you know, had been brought to life and the dreams that investors had and the valuations based on potential eyeballs maybe 10 years out uh, caused investors to fall all over themselves to try and uh, raise their technology positions to north of their benchmark. And the benchmark had gone to 35%. Uh, that was a mistake too soon. The technologies were not ready. The costs of those technologies were prohibitively high. Cisco, Oracle, the traditional players back then were not going to bring us into the cloud and artificial intelligence age. They're completely different companies. And even today, I look at the S&P 500's 28% in technology. Uh, we do not own one of those technology stocks. Okay, so just a point of uh, correction. John Rope pointed out the other week, if you look at the S&P and keep in mind that some stocks got moved out of tech, Netflix, I believe, went into communications, Amazon went into consumer discretion, et cetera, et cetera. Tech is really, uh, according to his numbers, 44% of the S&P. So she's talking about 35% in 2000, it's 44% of the S&P now. The other thing, if um, you're interested you can go look at my Twitter feed. I posted uh, an article with a quote from Mark Twain, history rhymes, doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. And you go back and look at 2000. I was around then. And you had names like Garrett Von Wagener, Kevin Landis, Ryan Jacob, Alberto Villar, etc. And by the way, Kathy Wood. Um, small detail, if you read one of those articles, Kathy Wood had a hedge fund 98 to 2001, I, I, I excerpted a passage there. Her assets peaked at a billion three in the first quarter of 2000, I believe, and she was down to 200 million 12 months later and closed her fund. Now, I don't want to throw stones at her. I've managed funds. I've had to close funds. So, you know, there but for the grace of God go I. But she has a record. She's done this before. And anyone who doesn't pay attention to that, I mean, it's just, it's just high responsibility. All right, let's keep going either mature technology stocks. In the case of Microsoft, they've done a wonderful job migrating towards the new world. Um, but our technology stocks are way undervalued relative to their potential, whereas we do not believe Microsoft is. And I'll just add one last thing. Today, we have investors doing the opposite of what they did during the late 90s. They are running for the hills. It's risk off because of inflation, interest rates, and the hills are their benchmarks. So they're running to the past. And if we're right, and the disruptive innovation that is evolving is going to disintermediate, disrupt the traditional world order, those benchmarks are where the risk is, not with my comrades from the Canadian oil mafia, I'm not worried about the past. I'm not worried about oil. But, you know, I had tweeted this out a few couple months ago. When you hear CEOs and investors using these words, in particular, it was, it was last August, I believe, when Peloton first blew up. And I was making fun of CEOs who use these bullshit new economy terms. And she knew, sure knows how to bring it. Disintermediate, disrupt, the world order. Like, who is she, Che Guevara? Like, what the fuck? 
I mean, this is just this is just fiery bullshit. Lights on, nobody home. Keep going. Portfolios. So there, there's obviously a lot in in the answer that you just gave me, and your long-term track record obviously speaks for itself. And in many respects, you are who you are. Because yeah, it speaks for itself. It sucks. The kinds of performance numbers that you just read to me and our and our viewers. However, for many, it is the here and now that that matters most. And some of the arguments that you've made to defend the moves that you've made in the market have been criticized. I read to you December 17th of 2021, innovation stocks are not in a bubble, you claim. Do you still stand by that? And if so, how? Absolutely, we stand by that. Um, uh, as I just mentioned, you've got investors running back to their benchmarks. Our stocks are not in benchmarks. So in a risk-off period, that is going to happen. Uh, we believe our portfolios are extremely undervalued. You have to have a five-year investment time horizon. And if an investor is looking for uh, returns over the next quarter, the next two quarters, you know, we can't promise them. Nobody can promise them. That's a, a macro call these days. However, if you give us five years, I, I, I will tell you, we are running a deep value portfolio. And I've even had this. Excuse me. I just coughed. I just spit up my food. Just deep value portfolio. Three aces. We're going to take a little break here. Three aces. Can you just. Are you there, three aces, my friend? Or Tommy? Are you I there, am Tommy? here. I'm here. Yeah, three, I'm here. Yeah, three, three, three aces. Let's just take a time out from Kathy. Any thoughts mm -hmm. on what we heard so far? I mean, this is just. She's delusional, in my opinion. I mean, George, you know, I'm sitting here watching her, Musk. I mean, all of them. Him off. I don't know how these guys, you know, I mean, when we started on this stuff, you started a decade before me. I mean, we were on lockdown. You know, that's why I don't have one single social media thing anywhere besides maybe a little LinkedIn thing that can keep track with some of my buddies like a Rolodex. But I mean, we were on lockdown. We couldn't say anything to anybody, you know, ever back in the 90s and 80s. And then the internet came, no emails, no nothing. Remember all that? Now, <laughs> You know, you got, again, you know, you know, policies, you know, have consequences, right? You know, the SEC, right, should have barbecued Elon Musk, barbecued. I remember four or five times where, you know, stock promoters went out and put out completely fake press releases that crushed or, or moved stocks hugely. Those guys all got busted and went to jail, you know. So the fish always rots from the head down. You know, so so somewhere, somehow we have lost our way. Rules only matter to a certain group of people. They don't matter. You know, the guy that screwed up and did an authorized trade in his account and, you know, 20 grand. There's press releases up and down on the SEC's website of those guys. They're done. They're finished for life. Right. Or, you know, but Musk, Musk, I mean, he's breaking every single law in the book. Kathy Woods breaking every single law in the book. Right. You look at a guy like uh, Michael Saylor. Where's the board of directors? I know. And, and, and the problem three aces is it, 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 it invites imitators and, and they come and they, monkey see monkey do. So it's not just about Elon Musk. I mean, go look at Nikolai. OK, that, that crook Trevor Milton. All right. The guy, you know, rolling the truck down the hill. Where do you think he got that, that in the bullshit thing with all the fake orders? Same thing with Lordstown Motors. Where do you think they got all got those ideas from? This shit has to stop. This shit has to stop. So, Tommy Thornton, you got any, anything you want to say about this? Yeah, I just, uh, hey guys, 
Well, what a day. Um, really, something. Uh, I, sorry, I'm choking to death. Uh, after listening to that video, uh, I, I didn't hear it uh, when it was originally on because I don't play CNBC. But that was stunning. I mean, they're going to have to, like, drag her out of her office one day, just like they did some of those mutual fund managers that blew up the Gert Van Wageners and the Kevin Landis's out there. They're, they're, people are in denial. But I just tweeted out the um, ARC versus the Goldman Sachs non-profitable tech company uh, chart that Julian Brigden did way back. And I have DeMarc indicators on there. And by the way, there are DeMarc indicators uh, still. Actually, there's a sequential countdown on day six of 13. It's not shown on there. But I also have the inflows and outflows on Twitter right now. And I'm amazed that there are still some really big inflow days uh, in, in this. And the one thing that um, with her research, first of all, let's just think about this. Her research is God awful. And it, it she doubles down on her things all the time. And I'm just, I wrote today that what, what her biggest stock is Tesla. And, and and it's been by far the best performing stock she's ever owned in her life and, and obvious. But this hasn't cracked yet. And when this thing really cracks and it gets Shopified or Roku or PayPal, I mean, you see these significant drops. Uh, it's game over for her. And let's let's also think about Tesla did not achieve any of her research dynamics of what was going to happen. They valued their full self-driving at just obscene valuations. They valued insurance, just like uh, Adam Jonas at Morgan Stanley. They, they valued their insurance at something like $40 billion. And that's bigger than progressive. I mean, it's just absurd. None of her, um, her predictions happened. It was a gamma squeeze. And, oh, and yeah, Tommy, and, you're completely right. And completely you know, the right. thing Keep is, on. I have said too, it's, it's like she, she hit a hole in one, but it went off a cart path and a tree and, bounced into the hole nothing that she predicted happened and that's the next you know death nail to um to fall and i and tesla by the way i have a, a i'm not gonna put a chart on twitter because i vowed to not put anything on twitter um on, with tesla because i just am sick of the trolls um it's on day six of 13 on with the demarc sequential on the downside so we should see this start to give way rather soon. And, and right. yeah, it's, 100%, it's Tommy, 100%. You know, it's funny. You know, it's funny. You say, you, you say that, you know, nothing she predicted came true on the fundamentals. And I've said that before in a different way. I go back and I can pull it out again. You look at what the gold, I'll just take Goldman Sachs just to pick as a representative sell side firm. You look at what Goldman Sachs was estimating for 2021, what their sales earnings were supposed to be for Tesla. So four years hence, then you look at what actually happened and the sales and earnings came in at a fraction of what they were supposed to, but yet the stock multiplied by 30. And so when you start talking fundamentals with people like this, it kind of reminds me of the crypto crowd. 
they start talking about, well, number go up, look at the price. And then they talk about the technology, this genome and this sequencing and that, that, that. But it's like, no, 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 no. Let's just talk about cash flow earnings and fundamentals. Did they do what they said they were going to do? Dude, number go up. What else do you want? And that's the way this crowd rolls. So it's, it's, but I think, I think the chickens are now coming home to roost. Um, okay. Let me, uh, let me, uh, 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 uh Rustin, do you want to say something before we start listening again? Rustin, you want to say something? Rustin boy. Hello. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, 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 uh, I just, uh, I just, uh, have uh, two comments, uh, nothing to, to say much about this stuff. Um, this, uh, a chart from three aces uh it's actually resembles uh, the chart from canaccord uh, report which i sent to george uh the same stages um yep very, very interesting that's like good cycle. That's yeah good. and uh, you know <clears throat> it's very funny so i have uh, a chart with my friends uh who actually as i said own the same stuff from roku to i don't know uh, to tesla and to bitcoin and uh they started. They started to speak about macro. You know, the people started to speak about macro. Right. That's that's something interesting. Interesting. And uh, yeah. And um, uh, another comment is, uh, I just I just want to ask you guys, uh, really, what happens with the, happened with the United States regulation? Because United States stock regulation is weaker than Russian stock regulation. Yeah. How, so, well, okay. So, so Russian boy, let me let me Alex, let me just answer that one. There's been complete regulatory failure in the u.s whether it's lack of funding for the agencies or in more cases it's regulatory capture you have guys who are in these agencies once they get out they then go work for a big financial firm or whatever so you've seen the financialization of the economy and with that regulatory capture it is scandalous absolutely scandalous all right let's move on let's keep going there's a lot of good stuff here and by the way um three aces can you are you can you hear me three aces I can. Yeah, I'm just curious. I'm I, I'm experimenting with the sound here. When I'm playing the Kathy Wood uh, 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 tape, is it, is the sound quality okay or kind of sketchy? It, it, it's a seven and a half out of ten. All right, that's good. pushing it. It's not. It's not perfect, but it's not. It's, it's very, not very audible. Okay, fine, fine, because yeah, yeah. it, it's hard. I don't have a proper studio or whatever. Okay, let's keep going here. Our largest clients, our, our, our largest institutional clients, uh, actually called me and said, you know what, uh, I'm a value guy. Uh, and he, he heads up the equity division of, of this uh, state pension plan. He said, I'm an equity guy, uh, but I'm, I'm value oriented. He has other people following, uh, allocating to the growth side. Uh, but he called me and he said, you know what, I'm investing in some of your stocks because uh, I believe that uh, you are right on, on the transformational technology. Stop. So Vitaly, who's a friend of this room and a good personal friend of mine, great value investor out in Denver. He's been he's in these rooms a lot. We heard him just the other day talking about how he's gone through the, the ARC fund and some of the other tech stuff to see if there's anything there for a value guy to buy. Nothing to buy. Nothing to buy. Not even close. So, again, she's she's smoking hopium. Keep going. I love it when I see uh, investors running away all with the same story so and for the same reason. Just because these stocks that you invest in have this transformational technology, Kathy, that doesn't justify valuations that are 
through the roof based on growth well, projections that are so far down the road. And this seems to be the textbook definition of a bubble. When you yeah. see a Robinhood down 84% from its high, Block 62, Teladoc 75, Twilio 59, Roblox 62. I mean, I could go on and on and on down the list. Yeah. How is that not a bubble? Uh, well, I will I will tell you that, uh, again, we've got a very short-term time horizon in the market, shortened even more by fear, macro fears. And uh, we have always said that we want our companies to invest aggressively now in order to capitalize on some of the most amazing growth opportunities we will ever see in our lifetimes. And so our, our uh, companies do have a high valuation, uh, especially because some of them, especially in the uh, genomic space, are loss making right now. Uh, but uh, they are aggressive. Uh, they are investing aggressively because in the genomic space, we have companies that are going to cure disease, and it's already happening. Uh, when you're talking about CRISPR gene editing, so we are always going to have a high valuation in the short term because our companies are doing the right thing. They're not trying to manufacture earnings like a lot of other companies out there who are buying back their shares so they can boost their earnings per share. Our companies are investing aggressively now because they see enormous opportunities, whether it's in the genomic space, the robotic space, energy storage, artificial intelligence, blockchain technology, and when you think about artificial intelligence, I think for us, and all we do is focus on innovation, the biggest surprise to us in the last three years are, uh, is the amazing set of breakthroughs in artificial intelligence. We've got AI costs. Uh, well, we've got AI moving more than twice as fast as Moore's Law. Costs. All right, here comes the crypto bullshit. Just listen to it. Dropping 60% per year if you use, if you, uh, if you account for both the hardware and the software. Uh, when you get the cost of something dropping that much uh, and to levels that are much more accessible and affordable, uh, you're gonna have an explosion in creativity. And that's what's happening. What has happened to our world, our traditional financial world, is intense risk aversion caused by, first, the tech and telecom bust in the early 2000s, and then even more so after 08, 09. And what does risk aversion mean in the traditional world? Risk aversion means get close to your benchmark, benchmark sensitivity. So we have, I think, one of the most massive, misalloca massive misallocations of capital in the history of man. Yes, one of the most massive, and so hate this buds for you and my Canadian old friend mafia friends. One of the most massive misallocations in history. They ain't fucking putting holes in the ground to get more oil. You have investors investing in the past. Benchmarks are where they are, and especially the largest companies and stocks in the benchmarks are where they are because of past successes. If we're right, those are the companies that are going to be disrupted. And you can see, if you look at large cap growth portfolios or large cap any portfolios practically, you'll see many of the same stocks, but in growth, you'll see the Fangs, you'll see Microsoft, you'll see NVIDIA, you'll see NVIDIA, you'll see Tesla because sure. it was put in the, in the benchmark time. Why the such, only one we overlap with is Tesla. Why, why such a reticence though to concede that some of these stocks that have suffered dramatic declines 
will never come back to the level at which they, they once were. You, you won't concede well, that? You think all of these stocks that I read on that list, plus others that are down by significant amounts as well, are really going to come back to the prior levels they were? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and beyond. Uh, you'll note-, note to self, if someone wants to go look at the Twitter poll, I think 80% of the people in the Twitter poll said, no, not going to happen. Keep going. During, uh, during risk-off periods, uh, and this one has been particularly long, uh, one year, uh, which has taken our stocks into bargain basement pricing, I'll say again. But the, the names you read have migrated into our top 10 because we have concentrated our uh, holdings towards our highest conviction names. Uh, and most of the names you read are in uh, our, our top 10. I think uh, many of them are platform companies many of them are going to harness artificial intelligence in a way that others cannot. I mean, Tesla has been the best case in point, and I think we have a lot of Teslas, Tesla-like stocks in our portfolio. We're really looking for companies that are going to use artificial intelligence and create competitive advantages that no one will be able to, uh, will be able to catch. I think one of the criticisms is that you refuse to concede the fact that maybe the environment is different than it was when these stocks were surging. Some of the names I read certainly included in that. Maybe Roblox you want to put in there. Maybe that uh, is a pandemic play. Teladoc, Zoom, some of the names like that. How can we believe that what is a post-pandemic environment is not going to be different? Certainly for the growth trajectory, of many of the stocks that we just talked about. So uh, if you look at uh, what happened during COVID, um, innovation solves problems. We had a lot of problems. And uh, these stocks did exceedingly well because they, they were helping to solve problems. But that what, what happened was the shift towards the innovative platforms around which we base all of our research actually accelerated uh, by some people would say three to four years. So what we expected to happen in the future happened earlier because what normally holds the innovation back or can hold it back is inertia. But when uh, consumers and businesses are scared, they will embrace these new technologies faster. That's what happened. We are not going back uh, to the old ways of doing things because with innovation, you have better, cheaper, faster, more productive, more creative for new products and services. Why would we go back? And uh, just to take the most extreme example here, Zoom. Uh, Zoom in the fourth quarter of 2020 uh, <clears throat> had revenue growth of 368%. Now that's huge. Uh, if, if you told me uh, any company had that and, and would I expect a correction the next year, I'd say, yeah, probably a, a decline uh, as we get back to um, normal or get back into some sort form of normalcy. Uh, uh, because not everybody is going to be using Zoom in the new world, perhaps. And then just rethinking it, wait a minute, they're going to show an increase Versus that 368% in this quarter. We don't know how big the increase is, but it's probably going to be the... By the way, I just have to interrupt. I, I know this kind of really made it on Twitter today. 
it was pointed out to me when I think just about this point in the interview, the thing came on where it said session about to expire. It looks like she's a cheapy like me. She doesn't have a paid subscription to Zoom, even though it's one of her ten biggest holdings. So that's <laughs> okay. I thought it was hilarious. In their growth for the next few years, because simply because of this comp. Uh, the comparison issue. Uh, we're seeing a lot of analysts out there just, you know, their analysis is all around comps. Uh, our analysis is around transformational technology and how it's going to scale and why it's going to scale. And in Zoom's case, okay, we'll get over the tough comp issue. Uh, we'll go down to 185% uh, revenue growth in, in, in the next quarter as a comparison. And that will probably mean they, they accelerate their growth rate. Well, uh, and why it, is this happening? I just want to go to something very fundamental. Please. Many people said Zoom, Zoom. Of course, we used it during the coronavirus. We had we had to be home. We had to figure out uh, our way to communicate with our colleagues and friends and so forth. Zoom was that. Um, but what they don't understand is we are now in the first rip and replace cycle since the early 90s when the internet was evolving. In the um, communications, the enterprise communications space, enterprise communications is the largest part of the, the enterprise technology stack. It accounts for $1.5 billion in revenues around the world. And uh, we believe that Microsoft and Zoom are in the process of helping companies and individuals transform their lives and rearrange the communication stack, this time in the cloud. There, there, uh, now, there, it, there is no doubt um, that what you say about the transformational value of these companies could very well be true, and it's almost impossible to argue with that. It all really, though, comes down to the price we're willing to pay for the kind of innovation and transformation that... Okay, let's stop right there for a second. So Scott Wapner is doing a really good job with this interview, and he's hitting the nail on the head. Um, not buying into the, the uh, blue sky technology stuff, but it's about valuation. Notice Kathy just waves away any discussion of valuation. And I'd like to retell a story that I told a few weeks ago. This goes, there was a, an old uh, famous investor, Peter Vermillier. He passed away, oh, 2006 or seven, sometime around then. And he was a mentor to me, a really sharp guy. He was in his 80s when I first met him, but had a steel trap of a mind, really sharp. And at his funeral, Chuck Clow gave the eulogy. Chuck Clow was the um, Clow Capital Management in Boston previously. In, in among his many roles in his career, he was also the um, global equity strategist for uh, Merrill Lynch. But in his early days of his career, going back to the 60s, I believe, he was working as an airline analyst. I think it's for endowment management research, if I'm not mistaken, the firm that Peter was at, Peter co-founded. And Chuck, given the eulogy, told the following story. At that time, airline stocks were the go-go stocks. Airline travel was relatively uh, undeveloped. And as you can imagine, it became a thing. And stocks like 
Eastern Airline and TWA and Pan Am names, which may not mean much to any of the younger folks in the room. These were these became hot growth stocks. And so Chuck Cloud comes to Morning Media one day and is pushing these stocks. And Peter was a man of few words. Chuck goes through his delivery. And Peter then says, price. And Chuck is baffled. Price? What do you mean? Could you explain? Peter says, price. Chuck asks him, again, says, price. He goes, what do you mean? The gist of it was, it was already discounted the price. The market cap of these stocks had already discounted the growth uh, in the years to come. About a month or two ago, uh, I was putting up a lot of tweets from Walter Deemer. You can go on my Twitter feed. He was a legendary chartist for Putnam Investments. He's now in his late 70s, retired, living in Florida. I hope we'll get him in the room one of these days. I think he's supposed to appear in Michael Gayad's lead leg report room. And he had, a, in his book, he had a great example of this, which I tweeted out. It shows uh, a long-term chart of McDonald's. This goes back to the 70s, I think, into the early 80s. And you look at these long-term charts, and they're beautiful because you can see the earnings line and the uh, share price line. And usually the, the two tend to follow each other, not every week, not every month, not every quarter, but in the long run on average, that's the way it works. Well, McDonald's became a real glamour stock in the early 70s. And it was an institutional favorite, part of the Nifty 50. And for the subsequent 10 years or thereabouts, the stock did nothing. It went sideways while the earnings kept going up and up and up and up and up. So I think it's Warren Buffett who had the line, price is what you pay, value is what you get. Kathy Wood just ignores any talk of valuation. And she's had a tailwind at her back this past number of years because we've had unprecedented irresponsible monetary policy rates interest rates at 5,000 year lows so what people are missing is by buying these high duration long duration high PE stocks they're basically making a huge bond bet and as Michael Guyatt also often says there are no such things as gurus they're only cycles so she may decry all this macro stuff and I think she's, she describes crude as, so hey, I think it's whale oil or something like that. But what she conveniently ignores is that she had a gale wind hurricane at her back helping her numbers these last few years. And now the worm has turned. And she's just, I don't know if she's dishonest or she's stupid. I don't really know. But clearly uh, there's something missing from her explanation. Uh, before we start listening again, I'd like to ask anyone on stage who's a speaker if they have anything they'd like to uh, say about what they've heard so far. Anyone uh, care to speak? Yeah, I just want to say that uh, cocaine is a hell of a drug, George. Thank you. <laughs> Alex, what's up, Alex? Rustin boy, what's up? Yeah, uh, uh, I don't know, guys, if you know, but there is uh, there was this guy, Bill Hwank. Who blew oh, up? Yeah, yeah Alex, 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 hold, hold. Don't talk about Bill Huang because I got, I have a special for everybody later. You're going to ruin the fun. So if you could just not say anything about Bill Huang, we're going we're gonna to have some fun with him later. So just. Yeah, yeah. he was, yeah. you know, that he was a seed investor in art funds. So he was the first guy who gave money to Katie. Yeah, I can, I, I've been on that rant a lot in these rooms. Uh, he seeded her funds, he was a convicted criminal. 
she took money from him at the time. You know, who in their right mind would do such a thing? But at the same time, she's waving a Bible in your face. So we're going to get to that later, but let's just stay. Yeah, it's just, it, it just interesting that this year, her performance just resembled his performance. Yeah, she basically, yeah, and to your point, she has not, basically her performance stopped when he blew up. So anyway. Yeah, 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 yeah. Alex, let's just leave that aside for now. Uh, Crapital, do you want to say something? Crapital? Yeah, I was just going to point out a post by Kubico today looking at uh, basically how many of these investors are underwater, what the cumulative flows are. It's held in reasonably well. And all of these liquidity concerns, I think, are still present and probably getting worse. So as soon as those funds, those those flows start to reverse meaningfully, I think this thing is just going to crack. Completely. And and, and by the way, Tommy Thornton, I don't know if you're still listening, but you've done a lot of those VWAP calculations and everything. Are you kind of semi-current on that? Because I, I know you keep those numbers. No, the VWAP, I can't even, I can't even go back that far on, uh, on, on Bloomberg because it. Well, you can you go, go back a well, year? Well, well, Tommy, can you go back like since the the bulk of the money came in, say the last two years? I think forget about going back five years, but if you were to go back to say the middle of 2020, um, could you do that? Let me do it on stockcharts.com. Let me. Yeah, all right. So maybe let me get figure out a time and I'll, I'll put it on Twitter. Yeah, but 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 with capitalism, Tommy's been all over that, and you're completely right. And you know, again, it's remarkable. She's taken 500 million bucks the last month, according to her, with the thing tanking. I mean, I, I've said repeatedly, I, you know, I think this. And by the way, you know, I've said I throw out numbers like 30 or 40 as a target price for Arc. I actually think there's a systemic problem here as well. We'll get a structural issue, which, which we'll get to later. But I mean, people just. People just haven't gotten the memo yet. Semi, uh, semi, what would you like to say? Hey, how are you? Good. What's up? Uh, I wanted to say two things. One is, uh, so I've worked in corporate strategy in healthcare and and tech for years, and I've worked, uh, especially two or three years ago, with um, several of the companies in Kathy's portfolio, um, just before they went public and when they were public. And I could tell you for a fact, she didn't do any on-site due diligence when she invested in a couple of these companies, at least the ones I know. All she did was one 30-minute meeting. She listened to a really good story. And then she put in 50 to 100 million into these stocks. That was literally her, the, the complete extent of her due diligence in the companies that I know. Um, additionally, the other thing that people aren't pointing out is a lot of these companies that she invests in, they're extremely capital intensive and they have virtually no revenue. So what's going to happen in the next year or two, she's going to these companies are going to have to raise money and they're going to raise money at very low val- values. So you're going to see 20 to 50% dilution. So when she keeps talking about value, 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 she's like nobody's pointing out the fact that these things are going to get diluted. So totally. anyway, just just totally. wanted to add that. Totally. Uh, Rustin Boy, if you could just hold it, please. Uh, just hold it. All right. Hey, three, hey, three, aces, you, three aces. You want to say something? Yeah, I wanted to not add to that. I wanted to bring up another subject. Is that okay yeah. now or do you want me to hold it? No, uh, go, for it. go for it. Related to ARC. Related to ARC. Related to ARC. Go for it. Yeah, go yeah. for it. Three so, for so it. there was a while there, George, when I was subscribing to her trading blotter, you know, <laughs> emails. And I mean, you know, anybody who's worked on the street anywhere, right? If you just looked at the way she trades, buys 600,000 one day, sells 800,000. I mean, it's just like, it's almost like, you know, if she was a retail stockbroker, she would be arrested for churning her accounts for commissions, which which leads me to my point. I don't know 
are soft dollar commissions still a thing? I mean, it's, you know, because it almost looks like she's just she's trading just to generate commissions. If you look at her the way she she trades, it's the most insane thing I've ever seen in my life. I just yeah. wanted to put that out there. No, I appreciate it. All right, hey what, George. What, yeah, George. I, I ran okay. I ran two VWAP levels. Yep. Um, I went back to the peak of last year at, on February sixteenth. And the VWAP level, that's a volume-weighted average price, everyone, is 103.73, okay? And then I went back and I ran the VWAP level from the March 18th low. And the VWAP level is actually higher at 104.89. And that is really important because what that tells me is that the, well, it basically says it pretty clear. The volume it is the people are well underwater here. It's what did it close at 68.14. And I thought that, you know, th there just wasn't that much volume on the entire way up. And now you have a big amount of volume that is really underwater here. And that, so essentially, a hundred bucks is where people are trapped. The George, there's trapped. a tweet in your DMs if you want to post it. Uh, hold on. All right. Let me find it here. Uh, it's got a good graphical representation. Yeah. Can you, you know, I'm a clutch at this. I don't know. Let me see if I can do this here. I'm really bad at this. Um, hey, guys, I'd love to comment on a specific trade uh, that Kathy Wood did. And uh, I know a lot of you don't know me. I think the only person whose paths I've crossed uh, was Thomas. How are you, man? Uh, you and I spoke probably like during the pandemic, like a year and a half ago. Hey, bud. And um, it was one specific trade. I didn't even know she made it. Like on my YouTube channel, I, I, I talk about like stocks and trading. And I was basically made fun of anyone that bought Twitter on Jack Dorsey's departure. Uh, the stock spiked that morning and it just like cascaded right after. And like the following day, I basically said anyone that bought Twitter on that day was pretty much insane. I know it's been down a lot, but Jack Dorsey was the only one that was like keeping the censorship of Twitter at somewhat at bay and it was going to go massive just censoring people and blocking accounts after his departure and she bought a million shares of twitter on jack dorsey's departure which is insane which means that she's not like investing based on value like it's an emotional uh trade because uh, jack dorsey leaving thinking it was going to be good and then she dumps 4 million shares right before earnings after the stock's down so much. And I thought that was just, like, comical. It's insane. Think George. Hey George, you there? I have call. a quick question for you. Go, go ahead, George. Tommy, do you want to handle the guys? I think George may have picked up a conference, a call there, and then I'll, no I'll go post this stuff. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, hey, maybe three. What's up? Yeah, bro? maybe three aces. Yeah, thank you. Nice to hear you. Uh, I was just going to say. I mean, you understand, you know, money flows and whatnot. So you know, ARC, you know, it's a fund, right? Whether it's exchange traded or you're in a mutual fund. And I don't know if a lot of people know this, but, you know, every single day it's got inflows, it's got outflows. And I was hoping George, with his experience with Fidelity, could talk a little bit about this. But, you know, if you have a you have a couple of months, I mean, I was reading about this with Eric Nuttall on the Canadian energy side. 
you know, at one point, you know, when oil was in the, in the shit back in March of, you know, 2019, 2020, I don't remember the actual bottom, uh, you know, Eric went down to like 40, sub $40 million Canadian in terms of assets under management. Today, he's sitting at 1.3, probably much higher, 1.5 billion. So you think of what momentum of actual money flow does to a manager. And so I don't, you know, it's really easy. And I know there's going to be lots of people who aren't going to get a, a chance to speak today. And, you know, obviously, I like the sound of my own voice. So George can take me off whenever he wants. But I want you to think that if this situation is to persist, whether you own an ETF or you own a fund and you own something that has the NASDAQ exposure or market exposure, which is obviously largely NASDAQ components, people who pull the money make and force managers to liquidate. And I think a lot of people forget that. So Kathy Wood could, I mean, I think she looked awful today. And I mean, no disrespect to her. I mean, that is, first of all, absolute bravery to stand in front of the investment committee the way she did. Now, I don't think she made a lot of coherent sense. I thought she blabbled a lot. But to even stand there is, you know, that's that's something. And I will say that, you know, it's going to be very difficult for her because, you, you know, whether her clients saw that or investors saw that and they felt nervous, even if she doesn't want to sell things like Tesla or Roku or DocuSign, she might not have a choice because once redemptions come, that's the name of the game. It's called fun flows. So I know George has a lot of experience with this, with Fidelity. He's probably on Uber Eats right now, wondering where his order is. Um, but perhaps, you know, somebody with some asset management experience can can shed a little bit of light on that topic. Three Aces, I know you, you probably know a little bit about it as well. Uh, uh, oil God, may just make a point uh, which Three Aces could address. Uh, so last quarter... Uh, ARK had uh, $12 billion in cash. In a quarter, she lost $8 billion in cash. So she is left with $4 billion in cash, which can be used for redemptions. In many of her companies, she owns 10% or more. Uh, uh, 5% to 10%, not more. Uh, and this is in this tape, it's illiquid, like mid cap shit. So, if redemptions uh, will continue and she depletes her cash and she goes below, I don't know, 1 billion, 100 million, I don't know what's, what's the number. But the point is that as soon as redemptions, uh, hit her cash pile uh, a lot, she will be forced to sell and she will likely sell which is most liquid. And the most liquid is Tesla, I don't know, Shopify, maybe some other stocks which like above $50 billion market cap. And then she will likely sell the most illiquid shit like Robin Good, which is, I don't know, which should be valued at $1 or $2 or $3. So this, as uh, Soros, as Soros wrote in her book, in his book, uh, uh, about virtus and vicious cycles, she was in a virtus cycle, 
Now she's in vicious cycle. And uh, this is actually a very good point because if redemptions hit her, first she will have to sell Tesla and Shopify because they are liquid. Because she My can't get out of this uh, small, small and mid cap shit companies, which she can, which she continues to add. So, so she dollar cost average, yes, DCA as it's called in English. Uh, in Russian, it's usredniatsa. So she, she's buying like how how she can buy. Yeah. Robin Hood. Yeah, Robin Hood. Yeah. So, Rusvin, what I think we'll do here, because I think I understand your point exactly, and I also understand. So, Rusvin, didn't mean to interrupt you because I. Yeah, I'm I not so George. sure what's going on. Yeah. Uh, I hope he's okay. Three A's. Okay. Yeah. You, you can call me. You can call, call me Alex because. Oh, hi, Alex. Not sure what happened there. The app went nuts. Let's try to pick up where we left off. Just give it a second as people come back in here. Uh, oh God, we're gonna get you up here. Just a minute. Well, God, can you hear me? I can hear you, George. Yeah, um, I don't know what happened. Were you able to hear me before? Because the thing just no, no. I, I, my, my suspicion is, is that uh, you know, Twitter just didn't want to hear the truth. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, you might something must have happened. No big deal. Everybody will join. Yeah, uh, we're three, we were in a good conversation with uh, Alex, a new friend from Russia. Uh, myself yeah. and three aces were talking about what happens when redemptions and asset management hit a certain level. And, and, and I actually posed the question to you, but you were, I believe on the other line. Uh, and it was large. No, you, you know, the, the funny thing, well, I was, I was in the room the whole time. I just, the thing just went funky in there. I don't know what happened. So, no well, so go ahead. What, what, what is the question? You well, let's, you were let's just wait for three aces and Alex to join. I think they'd be back in just a moment. Uh, sure. Three aces was saying something actually quite clever. So I'd love to hear from him. Okay. Uh, we've got that. We were, we were 700 people in the room before the thing, before this all happened. It's all good. Right. George, just while we're waiting, why don't we have some fun with our audience? Let's get to know George a bit better. How's that? George, I'm going to ask you some questions, oh. rapid fire, and then you can uh, you can answer them if you wish. How's that? Okay. All right. And I reserve the right not to answer them. Go ahead. George, what kind of, um, what kind of, what's the highest level of education you have? I got an MBA from Wharton School, but honestly... I didn't learn very much at Wharton. So, you know, it's just a finishing school to give you entree to other places. George, fantastic. Let's say we were on a date. You had to order us Uber or DoorDash delivery. What are you ordering us first? Hmm. Well, there may be a problem with that because I'm, I love wine. And I don't know if those services allow wine. My view is if you have good wine, it, it covers over for a multitude of sins when it comes to food. Um, so I don't know. I, 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 usually for me during the week, I'm good with a, with a nice bottle of Chianti, nothing terribly fancy and you know, some good Italian food. Um, so I, I yeah, if I was put on a desert island, I'd keep one cuisine, it'd be, it'd be Italian or, and, and Indian. Those are my two favorite foods. Okay. And, uh, we're still waiting for just a couple more guests. So thank you everybody for this entertainment. Uh, we are sitting here with the George Noble telling us about oh, his God. Italian oh, food God. Oh, drinking God. problem. So, 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 oh, 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 where are you? Are you in Vancouver? Where are you? Exactly? Uh, I'm actually on my way. Yes, I am actually now in Vancouver. Yes. Is that is that where you live? Like, I know you're up in the Canadian Northwest somewhere. Where Where do you live? Yeah, exactly? No. So I was. I just moved up from Seattle. Uh, I'm moving to Vancouver. I can tell you that the home that I'm looking for is a ridiculous seven figure price. But uh, George, you know how we invest our portfolio. So hopefully one day the debt will be paid off. Um, but if not, I'll be joining you on that deserted island. I'll bring the wine and uh, we'll be just fine. 
Well, I, I presume nowadays you're probably denominating all the housing prices in barrels of WTF, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. So um, actually, actually, funny enough, funny enough that you say that, uh, BlackRock uh, actually posted, a, there was an interesting, I'm not sure if you saw that from Javier Blas, he had put out a quote from the CEO of BlackRock, basically saying fossil fuels actually a part of the solution and not a part of the problem. BlackRock is, oh, yes. You know, this is what we talked about, George. The tide will turn when they all of a sudden realize how structurally impaired they are. And now our, the United States has to go all of a sudden and take a few helicopters over to the Middle East and now the Ukrainian border just to protect their own ability to turn on their heat. So, you know, I, I think that narrative will continue to change. But it's nice to see Alex is back. Uh, we are now just waiting on our friend Sohaib. Uh, yeah, so, 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 so uh, MG, did you want to say something, MG? Yeah. Hey, George, how you doing? I just wanted to say something about the ETF creation redemption as opposed to mutual funds. You know, there's like a it's 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 slightly different where, you know, that the level of cash is not that, you know, it's not as uh, devastating uh, as it would be to say a mutual fund or a hedge fund just because there's authorized participants and they can literally create and redeem on a daily basis, um, you know, the underlying securities and they can wrap them up into an exchange traded, you know, kind of share. And then they can redeem it and unwrap it back on a daily basis. There's firms that specialize in this. The biggest one that I know is in New York called Jane Street. They're a quant fund that does this for a living. And so, you know, from Kathy's perspective, she just has to sell, you know, as soon as there's like selling going on in ARC, she has to, she has no choice but to kind of almost on a daily basis to sell shares on a kind of pro rata basis. Otherwise, she risks getting arbed by authorized participants. So it's it's slightly different. But, you know, at the end of the day, she's basically made a huge bet on momentum. And, you know, momentum has a long and storied history over the last, you know, 100 years. You know, it works really well, but the drawdowns are vicious. And there's a lot of young folk who have only invested through you know, periods where momentum has performed really well. And, you know, what they haven't seen is that, you know, the drawdowns of a momentum can be uh, horrific. Uh, you know, back in, you know, say, you know, the, the crash of 29, you know, momentum was doing great in the whole 20s. The roaring 20s was one big momentum decade. And then in 1929, momentum had a 90% drawdown. So these things can happen. People, people, you know, and Kathy Wood, you know, she never, I don't think she's ever claimed to be remotely a valuation person. She's basically, you know, uh, kind of f- flipped the bird on people who care about value. And she's basically been long momentum the whole way. And so now, you know, uh, you reap what you sow. Totally, totally, MG. And I, I posted it in my feed. But again, I'll invoke the names of uh, Garrick Von Wagner, Brian Jacob, Al- Alberto Villar, Kevin Landis. If you think this can't happen, you go back and look in 2000 with these funds. They went down 80% and then another 80%. I mean, to the point where I think the the Munder Net Net Fund managed by Ryan Jacob, if you put $10,000 in at the peak, you were left with $500. So this there's precedent for this. And people who don't study their financial history are going to get a very expensive education. One other point I would like to make, George, and I'm interested to hear your viewpoint because you've, you've, you've talked about this in previous spaces, which is... And it's kind of funny even talking about this, but the morality of all this kind of investing, because at the end of the day, the problem we have in our society is we're way over indebted and the government multiplier is negative. We're not going to get ourselves out of this problem with more debt. 
And if we keep investing like this, we're not going to get ourselves, you know, out of this problem. I mean, she is making some sort of an attempt to say, okay, I'm innovation, this, that. But at the end of the day, none of these guys are creating any value. The, the free cash flow or any stitch of cash flow, any promised cash flow in all her companies is, 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 is abysmal. So, you know, there is an issue that, you know, we're, we're facing a big societal kind of problem in which, you know, we've had anemic growth for the past 12 years. We're facing anemic growth with ever increasing debt burdens. And how are we going to get out of it if we if we invest in such a in such a horrible way? Totally. You're, 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 you're spot on. I mean, miles just throw the money out the window. It's a disaster. And the flip side of it is I see Marcellus and Orgod and, you know, all the Canadian oil mafia guys. That's where we need to have the money invested. I mean, we are walking right into an energy crisis. Um, so you're completely right. And you just go back and look at 2000 uh, and how much cash was incinerated. Yes. We got the internet out of it and we got cell phones and PCs. But when people talk about productivity, they're usually talking about labor productivity. But you really need to consider a multi-factor productivity model where you're talking about, thinking about capital productivity and the billions and billions of dollars that just get incinerated. And you're completely right. You might as well just throw the money out the window. I mean, the last thing the world needs is another social media app. I mean, seriously. Right, let's, let's There's a couple other questions in here. I'm going to say anything. So, Jeff Kane, your hands up. What's up, Jeff? Hey, George, uh, you know, watching Kathy's interview today, uh, I think you are spot on that it, she's kind of delusional. You know, it's one thing to support these companies. I mean, the ship sinking and she really needs to almost turn into an activist investor. Uh, you know, like, where is she going on, you know, talking about, you know, Vlad needs to go on Robin Hood, you know, t- on Twitter's censorship mistakes, you know, a lot of these some of these companies aren't total dog shit. You know, some of them with some proper management could get turned around, but she's just, it's like she's blinded, like, oh, Robin Hood's this innovative company when they're just declining quarter after quarter on monthly active users. And then uh, kind of the funniest thing uh, when you're mentioning about the Zoom uh, free Zoom limit, you know, they tweeted out about, oh, we have a paid subscription, you know, CNBC needs to buy one. I mean, that's kind of the epitome of this new tech innovative innovation culture that, you know, Comcast is one of the largest companies in the United States. And we're two years into this pandemic and CNBC is not paying for a Zoom subscription. I mean, uh, that's kind of all I had to say. Yeah, no, that's hilarious. And by the way, um, you know, Robin Hood, I've been, you can look at my Twitter feed going back pretty much to the time of the IPO. Uh, I've been extremely outspoken about that. That company really shouldn't exist, in my opinion. They make money from payment for order flow, basically. They're giving the stuff away for free. It's a disaster. What the, you know, Payment for order flow is illegal in many European countries. Uh, it, it, it hopefully will be made illegal here one day. But and we're going we're gonna to play a little bit of Mark Kathy Wood still because Josh Brown craps all over Robin Hood. But, no, you're completely right. Completely right, Jeff. Sammy, did you want to say something, Sammy? Yeah, do you have any, you have any thoughts on um, Robin Hood, someone buying Robin Hood? Because while I think they're a piece of junk, too, they do have – they have gotten, like, a hold of this zeitgeist, you know, of this – younger generation, which we can't discount completely. I mean, these are the future, the future us. <laughs> I mean, hopefully they learn. 
but they do have like a, a huge user base and um i think that's worth something so i wonder what you think about that yeah the devil's always in the details it's a good question but here's the problem i don't have the numbers right in front of me but from memory i think there's like 860 million shares outstanding and the stock's around 14 so let's call it a 12 billion dollar market cap and sequentially numbers are going down so the revenues are probably annualizing about 1.2 billion right now so let's call it 10 times sales um, losses are continuing to accelerate. Not only that, they're having to spend more on SG&A and overhead, and the average account balance is going down. Um, the average the number of total accounts went up sequentially, but the number of active users actually went down because people are blowing themselves up. Keep in mind, the average account balance at Robinhood, I think, is about $4,200, uh, and they're, they're basically buying options and crypto. Like, what could possibly go wrong? So, yeah, it'll probably get taken over at some point, but on 10 times sales, you know, maybe it gets bought at $2, not $13. So I think it's a hunk of junk. I mean, a lot of money being short last year. I covered, I'm hoping it bounces a little bit, but to me, it's kind of interesting that it can't even bounce very much. So I, I would run, not walk as far away as possible from Robin. I mean, it's a complete flaming pile of garbage. R- R- I, I, I'll just I'll just say that uh, if you read the last two uh, financial reports of Robinhood, uh, you'll notice that, that uh, I think 50 or 60% of their revenue is Dogecoin. 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 Yep. Dogecoin. It just, the scammiest, it, uh, you know, the, this coin was created as joke. It's a yeah. joke coin. Joke yeah, coin. Yeah, no, we got Rustin, boy. We, we, we were aware. Thank you for that. Uh, I want, I think, I want, I want Georgia, to... I, can I can I just talk about this issue, which is I think what you're yep. getting at, which is yep. you know if if you look at their numbers, it's roughly about 365 something like that million in revenue, gross profits like you know 335 million, but their SG&A is like 475 million, and their R&D is another you know 280 300 million. These businesses don't make any sense. You can't give away dollars for 50 cents and then say, oh, you know, we have a lot of users. Of course you have a lot of users because you've been buying them. Exactly, MG. And that is true for every one of these companies. They're selling dollars for 80 cents, 50 cents, whatever. It's fake it to you make it. As long as you got free money, you can keep growing the top line. And all the growth idiots pay for that until one day you can't get any more free money and it's game over. And that's what's happening to a lot of these companies. So completely, MG, I'm totally with you. Totally with you. It's a great insight. Marcellus, do you want to say something? Yeah. You know, if if you were around the oil space from 2014 to 2018, 2019, it's really just the same story, only a different sector, right? You know, the oil companies having money thrown at them. They were plowing it into the ground and not making money on it. And it's, it's not really all that different in the big picture. Totally, 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 totally. Mr. Woodshed, you want to say something? Mr. Woodshed? Yeah, I do. I do. Can you hear me okay? You hear your phone. Yes. What's up? George, yeah, really, really good show, by the way. And uh, look, I'm a retail investor, so apologies if I sound a little bit uneducated on this. Uh, I don't disagree with any of the sentiment, uh, but in the interest of neutrality, it would be good to know from you or anyone else, you know, is there anything good she's doing? Any any good, any stocks that you guys actually like, Uh, uh, that you think uh, actually have some runway? uh, uh, I'm going to shoot from the hip on this one. There There might be one. But like every once in a while, I look through it and I just run simple screens, you know, price to sales, all this kind of stuff. And no, I think it's all crap. And, and again, <laughs> you know, and, and again, and again, there's a friend of this room. Everyone, mm-hmm. a lot of people in this room know Vitaly K 
Cat told me I'll send me a really good value investor, smart guy. And he said on a couple of occasions, recently as a week ago, he, he went through our portfolio. See if there's anything he might buy. Absolutely not. It's a complete. Right. It's a complete. It's complete garbage. So thanks so, for the question. So here's the next. No, so here's yep. the next question, George. Right. So it looks then it's quite inevitable. Then the fund may blow up. And if that happens, does that mark the bottom of the whole well, momentum so, so, trade? So, so, so this gets into a technical ETF question, which I really want to go to right now because that's a different topic. I mean, we can say that I think I think you know if you were just to go through the exercise, you said George, what do you think is a fair value for Arc? And let's say I went through every one of our stocks, and I said, okay, you know, Tesla should be two hundred, and Zoom should be fifty, and yada yada yada, and add it all up, and we say, okay, Arc should be at you know twenty or twenty five or whatever. It's sixty eight right now. But there's another problem, which I think your question gets to, which is the mechanics of the ETF. If this was a close, what's happening in her fund, the other thing she's doing, the liquidity of her fund is contracting. And by that, I mean, it's not just, I'm not referring necessarily to what's happening to the trading volume of the underlying shares, but what she's been doing is she's been selling off her more liquid positions so as to not exert um, selling pressure on the less liquid ones. And if you actually want it to be, and and, and people do this, if you want to figure out which which stocks are most at risk, don't. Some people do say, "Oh, you got to short Tesla because that's the biggest holding; it's not anymore." But that's the wrong stock to short because it may have been, you know, a ten or twelve percent position. I think it's eight now. But what you're missing is she may only own two tenths of one percent of the shares outstanding of Tesla, as opposed to something like Beam Therapeutics or NTLA or Pacific Bioscience or God knows what, where she might own ten or twelve or fourteen percent of the company. And it was really cash flow investing 101 that pushed the stock up. And now the movie runs in reverse and she needs to go sell it. She owns a disproportionately large amount of the floats. There's no one to sell it to. She's going to crush it. So, you know, if it was a closed end fund, the discount on the fund would be getting bigger and bigger and bigger as we go along here. I think there's potentially a problem. This gets to the mechanics of ETFs work and redemptions, whether there's any buyer and we can get into that later. But, it's possible. I mean, I actually looked at this a couple months ago where the whole thing could just totally blow up, like it goes illiquid. And it was explained to me that that probably won't happen. But for that, that's more a mechanics question. So I don't want to go down that rabbit hole right here, right now. I mean, I think, you know, the issue of that, well, can it go to 20 or can it go to zero? Like, I don't want to go there right now. Okay, let's, it's, it, if, if someone says it's going to go to 20, like I do, that, 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 that's a big enough statement as it is. So, uh, I'd like to move on. Alan, good to see you. What's up, Alan? Again, you're making fabulous sense, George. Uh, just one stock that I know that she's been selling out of the K fund, the big one, Iridium. They just reported their earnings today. And this is a company okay. which is trading, has got 66 global satellites and seven spares, and the government uses it and generates cash flow, blah, 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 blah. And she's been selling it out of the big fund, and she still owns it in our, I don't know what you want to call it, your, the global fund. And this company has value, but she's shooting herself in the foot. She sells one of her better stock to buy some piece of crap, which is not the, and George, I'm just going to do a little corollary here. And I just want to ask your opinion because you've been around for a while. The Federal Reserve has X trillions of dollars worth of bonds, correct? Why would yes. they not? Yes. Why would they not sell bonds before raising rates? All right. So for that, I'm gonna I'm gonna just hold that right there. And we have Mr. Bobby J in the house, a very good friend, 
the best fixed time credit guy I know. So second, second Alan, best, second best. Sorry. Sorry. Okay, Alan. So Alan, I'm going to let you and Bobby J have at it, and I'm just going to sit and watch. So Bobby J, are you there? Do you have the question, Bobby J? Yeah. Well, Bobby J, you know, the Fed has the third mandate now, which is to keep the cost of borrowing down for the Treasury. You know, we've consolidated the Fed and Treasury into one unit. And, um, you know, this is going to be a gentle balancing act uh, for them to try to manage the yield curve, keep the funding in place. Uh, I think they would like the curve to steepen. I don't think they have any problem with that. But the Fed, you know, the Treasury has an adjustable rate, adjustable rate mortgage. It's negative AM. And um, they can't afford to let the fund, the front end go up. So I think they're starting to think more about selling some bonds increasing uh, the term premium on the uh, on the long end and um, you know they would probably like to raise rates as little as possible on the front end so that's so you're, 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 you're saying that they're going to sell their longer dated maturities and raise to force the long end up yeah I think it remains to be seen but um, I think over a third of their holdings are on the long end well, I don't know if it's quite a third, but it, it is. Uh, they keep on yeah. buying. Well, but including that, mortgages, but, and and I've told George this before. In, in my opinion, they've disconnected the smoke alarms. You know, they've bought twenty five percent of the tips market. Uh, I'm not sure I believe the five year five year rate uh, as a uh, harbinger of uh, inflation or predictability, uh, because for the life of me, I can't see a justification of why they were buying tips. Uh, because they, I, I I don't know why they were buying a lot of the things that early on in their, they're buying they were buying the HYG the high yield fund, and I and and some other people who understand the high yield fund told them that they couldn't buy that because they had foreign yeah but that's an odd lot compared to their you know their big holdings yeah but uh, but they stopped they stopped buying it yeah, when they were alerted to the know, fact look in in the, in the scale of what they're doing it's it h you know hyg or you know that's nothing it's not that's a oh no 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 it's i i know it's nothing but the thing is that they did, they've done a lot of things from day one that yeah, but I'm, but I'm John being not Alan, Alan, hey, Alan, Bobby, we're kind of going all down a rabbit hole. Bobby, you go right. ahead. I, you go ahead, George. You've got the other things. I think yeah. you're 100% right on uh, ARC, by the way. Yeah, and right. another good show. Thanks, right. Bobby, for tolerating me. Right. So, so, Bobby, what do you want to talk about? Uh, I, I stuck you on Alan's question. What do you want to what, Yeah, no, about, I, I, I just had some, um, you know, there's more discussion now, by the way, uh, about how inflation is, you know, uh, inflation equals pay cut for everyone. Um, and I was trying to think, George, when you and I presented together at the bank credit analyst, I was looking back and that was in 2002. I'm just trying to put together what we were talking about. I was talking about um, the coming bull market and corporate bonds uh, spreads because we were just had gone through a period where spreads had been widening for five years. And it made me think of the, the reasons that spreads widened. Uh, leading up to 2002 and why they turned around and tightened. And I think we're we're about to see a reversal of spread tightening uh, over the next three years. Uh, when And when, when I look at Tesla, you know, a lot of growth companies that we uh, have seen occur over the last decade, whether they were Amazon, whether they were Apple, Microsoft, uh, with high PE companies, they were not 
junk bonds, right? There, there were not junk bonds, and I have not gone through Kathy's portfolio, but I, I would, um, I would reason to guess that um, she has a um, very low credit rating on on most of her portfolio. Yeah, it's not, it's not, it's not a quality portfolio. That, that's for sure. The only thing is, when you get a really big market cap, you have something like Tesla. You you can explain this to us, but when you've got like you know trillion dollar market cap, it reduces your cost of credit when you want to, when you want to raise money from fixed income. So, but in other cases, it's you're completely right. Uh, MG, do you want to say something, MG? MG? Yeah, I had a question for our fixed income folks. Um, you know, one I, I remember trading Amazon bonds back in the day. They were actually rated junk uh, or, or slightly. Uh, they were, they certainly weren't investment grade. Um, and they were only able to raise convertible debt back in the day. Um, it was a four and three quarter percent, which is uh, outrageous in today's rates. But this is back in 2000. So but Microsoft always was 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 highly investment grade. But coming back to the other question, which is, you know, um, the Fed talks a lot about kind of reducing the balance sheet of the Fed. And uh, they talked about selling MBS to kind of get into treasuries, et cetera, et cetera. Now, there's been some interesting talk as to the price elasticity of stocks that is to say the more liquidity goes into the market because stocks are very inelastic the demand for them spikes up as there's liquidity so the inverse is going to happen once liquidity is taken out i.e via quantitative tightening do you guys see a significant pressure on stocks once the quantitative tightening starts 100 percent 100 percent we had MG, I'm sure you probably heard him, Larry Gentilow in here last week, and he was talk. He's got a. He didn't talk about it, but he runs this calculation. Don't hold me to this. It was something like you know, for every hundred billion of balance sheet, it's worth you know fifty S and P points or whatever it is. So, hundred percent, not even a question. Bobby J, you you you're also on the same page. Yeah, yeah. You know, I always equated the liquidity is like filling a pool. F- full of water and these stocks are like uh, floaties in the pool and they go up when the pool is full and they'll go down when it's drained. Yep. And also George has uh, referenced in the past Marshallian or Marshall's K. Uh, and, you know, that's just a simple principle that when we kind of have, I don't want to say we have a liquidity trap, but when, when um, the, you know, the liquidity is not going into loans into the banking system, uh, it goes into financial assets, and of course, it's gonna it's gonna go back down when liquidity is drained, and that's really you know that is the new mechanism uh, because when we we have debt repudiation or debt revulsion when you have this much debt in the economy, and you know borrowing is not the answer. So yeah, liquidity drains uh, will uh, bring down equities. Totally. So hey, hey, capital, do you want to follow up on that? Capital. Yeah, I was just going to say, saw a tweet that would go well at the top here talking about liquidity, just showing evaporating equity market liquidity, which might be interesting. Yeah, could you send it to so? Can you send it to so? Hey, he'll, 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 or if you can put it up in the nest, or I, so I don't know how to nest. If anybody can teach me. Yeah, I don't know how to do it either. Make, make sure, so yeah, I'll um, send it over to me, and I'll. Put it should it be in your DMs now. That's great. All right, that's great. Uh, all right, I want to get some other people in here. I haven't spoken, but there. Joe W, you've been up for a while. Do you want to say something, Joe W? Joe W? He disappeared. Okay. Have a Bob Klein. You want to say something, Bob? Or uh, thanks, Nick? Thanks, thanks, George. Great call. Um, I just wanted to add comments about Robinhood. 
uh, that were made earlier, you know, it's just a testament to what's what kind of bubble we're in, where Robinhood could drop seventy five percent, and if you value it from another, you 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 mentioned price to sales, which is which is a good metric, but if you also look at the market cap to assets under custody, they're trading around 11, 11% of assets under custody. Um, IBKR is trading about 8% of assets under custody and a much better operation. And yep. Chuck totally. Schwab's, yeah, Chuck Schwab's at 2% of uh, <laughs> 2% market and cap. Bob, and Bob, you know, the, the Robin Hood average count balance is like 4,200 yeah. bucks. And those guys are what, like 100 grand or something like that? That's a huge number. I mean, it's yeah. like not even close. And as you pointed out, they're trading crypto and options. They're all going to blow up, or most of yep, them are totally. going to blow up. So totally, totally, just incredible, incredible environment we're in. Appreciate Thank that. You. Hey, hey, Jeff, Jeff, Jeff G, Mr. Garbaz, how you doing? Hey, good. Well, I thought I'd give someone, uh, uh, everyone, a little perspective on where the the four funds are with respect to um, how the shorts are starting to pile in. So. You know, it's always just remember this. It's always darkest before the dawn. And, um, yep. you know, it's 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 pretty telling to see in the uh, we, we update it every single weekend. And then we get obviously short numbers, you know, coming coming in. And um, there's a put it this way. There's a lot more purple now that's showing up in all of our funds. So the sharks are in the water, but at some point it is going to create a, uh, a massive squeeze and, and people just need to understand that and have that in the back of their minds as opposed, as opposed to thinking that every company that she has is going to go bankrupt. That's, that's just not. Yeah, yeah, Jeff, that's always a great point you make. Let me ask you a slightly different question. Forget about the short positions in the funds, but if you go through the constituent names, you know, Tesla, Teledogs, and all that kind of crap. So I know you look at all the names. What do you glean from looking at all the names? What what's what's what strikes you? What's amazing to me is when I look at these portfolios. So when things were really bad at the end of January, um, we use our bias indicator as, as a DMA channel, a displaced moving average. And so it's always a six-period moving average displaced by four. So if it's a daily chart, we're looking at it's a six-day moving average displaced by four days. If it's weekly, it's a six-week moving average displaced by four weeks into the future. And then if it's monthly, it's six months displaced in the future by four months. And so um, most of the portfolios that I look at on a day-to-day -day basis for clients, um, there's a lot less negative stuff on the monthly. So in other words, stuff got dropped below the monthly DMA channel, then it got back into it or um, even back above it. And um, what's interesting with her stuff is that um, like, 85% of the names like, like um, Art K has 40 holdings right now. And I would tell you that um, how many are not negative across the board, probably like 30%, but 30% are below their daily, their weekly and their monthly DMA channel. So that's, that's bad. You know, like I started, so, let, me put, let, me, let me put the question out of the way. If we just stay with Eric K case, got like 40 odd names. Are the, how many names of that would you consider buying? Um, how many names? How many names would I buy right now using the metrics that we use? Yeah, just a quick, a quick cut without analysis of stocks. Just one. You look at quick cut. I mean, how many? How many potentially are buys out of the forty? One. One. And that actually has, <laughs> and, that, and that actually, George, to what we've talked about in the past, it has no shorts in it at all. 
uh, it's SSYS. It looks really, it's, it's fine. It doesn't have any problems. And, and you said 30%. Okay, all right. Jeff, as always, that's, uh, it's rather sobering. Uh, Tom, Tom was hit. I was listening. I, I just came in to listen today, really not to talk much, but I saw yeah. you guys were talking about, it. I kind of laughed to myself when I, when I came into the, uh, to the room. But what was interesting is when I look at RK on a um, only looking at Erlanger volume swing, which is like our, our money flow. Um, this, I'm going to pull a chart up. I got to just put it in real quick. This is, this is really interesting. Um, so obviously when I look at a, a daily chart, the, uh, the Erlanger volume swing is, is, is negative. Like there's no way that would be the case. Um, and it turned down actually in, in November. I think we actually have looked at that chart in the past, but yeah. here's what's interesting. When I get to the weekly that turned down, um, for the first time kind of last May and then it tried to get back above. It couldn't kept going down. And when I look at the monthly, this is what's really interesting. It was negative in 2015 and 16 when it's went sideways. And then it got positive in, in 17. And um, let me tell you the exact month where it did it. Yeah. It turned in April of 2017 and the volume stayed positive that whole entire time. And it's just, um, this last month that it, that it went negative. <laughs> so all these people that bought stock, you know, from 2017 onward, um, and, and a lot of it, you can see where it peaked. The volume flows peaked twice at the beginning of 2018. And then volume flowed out that whole entire year because just remember how bad that fourth quarter was. And then it continued going down an arc in 2019 and then at the pandemic low, that's when it took off. So here's here's what's interesting from the volume. I've, I've, I'm just kind of doing this and commenting on it as I go. So it peaked, and here's where it bottomed. Yeah, so the stock that whole entire time, um, January 2018 until March of 2020, um, the stock went up 6.69% that whole entire period. And then the rest of um, 2020 is when it just, just went, it's really just like the only time it did well and it made, and it made money and, and people were throwing money at it left and right was in uh, March of 2020 to the end of that year. And then the beginning of the year, you know, it just it just fell apart in 2021, and it's yeah. obviously continuing onward. That that to me, that to me is the most interesting thing um, when I was just looking at all the stuff. And all and by the way, there's one stock in there that she's got in every single fund. To see if anyone can guess what stock is in every single fund of hers. In every fund. Let's see. She's got a fintech fund. She's got a healthcare thing. Oh, I'm going to say it's Teladoc. Palantir? Nope. Both of those are good guesses, though. They're, 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 they're Zoom, in, those, Zoom? Those, those are in multiple funds. How about Zoom? No. Is it Zoom? Nope, not Zoom. All right, what is it? You got us. Um, UiPath. I don't even know that company. Symbol is P-A-T-H. Oh, God. And guess what? 
no one is short that one. <laughs> so I, so that, that's when I'd be like, yeah, I'd, I'd like to short that one. There you go. Because if we look at who the, uh, we can just see here um, who the holders are of that. Let me just do that and then I'll, I'll bag out. Oh, well, it's a couple VC funds who are the biggest holders. But um, guess, guess, guess what mutual fund family is the largest holder of that stock, George? Are they in Boston? No. I don't know. They're a little further south, and they're on the East Coast. T-Row? Yeah, T-Row. Yeah. Even more shares than, than ARC does. Oh, God. And, All right. Uh, but anyway, there you go. That's that's one for that's one for the crowd to look at thanks, as a short Jeff. idea because no thanks, one's there. Thanks, okay, Jeff. thanks. Yeah, all right. Yeah, we'll do Andrew, Jeremy, Bat, and Semi. Andrew, what's up? Andrew? Oh, hey, George. Uh, great spaces. Thanks for having it. Um, I just wanted to know, think about um, Kathy's um, hail mary. I I know a lot of the Bitcoin maxis are still talk throwing around a million. And I don't know whether how much Bitcoin she owns or, or whether the companies that has more exposure or like the PayPal's and Squares, uh, if that's sort of her play. Uh, another point I wanted to make was the the Robin Hood. Um, I saw this company, Lottery.com. They're like a th- less than $300 million market cap, but they were throwing around TAMP in their presentations, which only works for Tesla these days. But um, yeah, they had a $300 million market cap uh, <laughs> that might be close to what I mean, Robin Hood uh, is just still oversized by by a great amount. But um, just wanted your take on the Bitcoin. Is that is that her? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I haven't. I haven't. I mean, I, you can pull it up really easily. She's still humping Coinbase. I think Coinbase is a fabulous short. I'm really excited about Coinbase as a short. And the rest of the fintech is a disaster. Fintech's a disaster as well. I don't know where she is on GBTC lately. It doesn't matter. It's all it's all the same garbage. And by the way, as we're talking, I just saw something fly by a headline. Yeah, I'm just wait. So we we were talking earlier in the in the in the show about um, regulatory capture and how no, nothing's being enforced. I saw something fly by about the FBI setting up a special unit to prosecute cybercrime and whatever. And I see Bitcoin is down to like forty thousand and change. I think um, it's only we're on borrowed time here. I think crypto is going to completely crash. Um, it's just a question of time. It's all the same thing. You know, all, all, all the assets that are most sensitive liquidity are all getting destroyed. Crypto is no different. Um, and so, I no, it's I, if she thinks crypto is gonna, gonna gonna bail her out, not happening, Andrew. All right, Jeremy, what's up? Hey, um, I guess I had two quick questions. The first is for Jeff, if he's still on. Not Jeff, too sure. No, J- yeah, J- Jeff is still there. Yep. Yep, I'm here. Um, yeah. So you know, I noticed a peculiar amount of short interest in the Jake uh, HYG junk bond ETF heading into tomorrow, actually near all-time highs for uh, put open interest. And I was just wondering if you had any comments on how that could affect dealer positioning heading into next week. Jeff, I thought you don't do too much on shorty on ETFs. I mean, yeah, we track them. I mean, to me, it's only average. Like, I don't, I don't, are you, are you looking at someone's prime book to see like how much shares are shorted day to day? Is that what you're looking at? Uh, I was more so looking from the options perspective. Uh, perspective. Um, if you like, if you look at the chain, uh, it looks like the open interest for um, put options in the money and both out the money are like peculiar, uh, very high this year for this week's expiration. Mm, not, not the way we look at it. I mean, in 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 whole, uh, I would say there's more call activity than there's put activity. 
All right. I, uh, and and, I and a... if you what? Go for it. No, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. So, so what we do is we look at open interest, premiums, money flow, total numbers of contracts that have traded over the last 10 trading days. And we just roll it on a continual basis. And so we're not at an extreme right now at all. I mean, it's more, it's more people buying calls uh, down, which to me is actually that that's just, that just never works. Like calls work when something's working because it helps drive it higher. So um, to me, the more important thing with um, seasonality is like, how does the seasonality look on it? That's to me more important. And like this thing just trades down the whole first quarter. It never really does a good job. And if we go back and we look at like the bad, the bad years, like let's just look at um, 2008. Oh, 2009. 2009 was horrendous. Like that, I, I can pull up each year of the last 15 years. So anyway, that's the most interesting thing about high yield is that like 2009 when the market struggled, it's it's struggling now. Hey, you guys, I'm going to jump in. Yeah, here. exactly. I got to get on a call, but I'm going to be meeting with Kathy in two weeks when I'm down in St. Petersburg. Uh, Dylan's just saying a uh, wealth management firm. So whoever, uh, whoever can actually give me like the best thing to fucking say to her, uh, I'll go in there one quarter and do it. Or just stay in the room. We've been going that for almost two hours now. Just I'll I'll be in your DMs momentarily. Yeah, that's fine. There's just plenty of that. So, all right. So, let's, let, let, Jeremy, do you have another question, or you want? Um, yeah, it? no. I appreciate the answer for that too. I I do like looking at the credit spreads for you know potentially a leading indicator, and I think a lot of fund managers do too as well. But I guess for the oil experts um out here, my second question kind of related to you know the materializations we're seeing out of the potential nuclear deal I, I saw some reports yesterday that they're getting closer on potentially reenacting the deal that you know stemmed from the pre-trump era and if that could potentially have an impact on uh, iranian oil exports because i know um i've looked at some data through bloomberg and it seems like those um since 2019 have you know cratered significantly i know iran had, controls a good amount of the world's oil um, production. So uh, just overall, um, you know, insight on how that could potentially yeah, affect I'll, the supply-demand initiative. Yeah, I'll, I'll answer that because we've talked about that a lot in these rooms. So, uh, I mean, maybe maybe headline risk, but reality is maybe you're talking three-quarters of a million barrels. It's not that big a deal. They're doing a lot of black market um, oil sales to China, um, and OPEC can't even keep up with their quotas right now. So, Headline risk, it's one of the reasons I'm less kind of on the sidelines of some of my oil exposure right now because I'm worried about a deal being cut. But fundamentally, I don't think it really changes the big picture. Um, thanks for that question. Let's move on. So we got we got Bat and we got Semi. Bat, what's up? Bat? Hey, so, um, I mean, I'm going to offer a word of caution here uh, because, I mean, people just seem like ultra bearish on ARC, and I think it's kind of understandable. Um, and so for perspective, I was short arc a long time and I've probably been short like literally just about half of the individual components. Um, so not a big Kathy Wood fan in general. Um, but if I kind of just take a look at RK and the holdings right now, first of all, like this whole idea that it's going to blow up, um, I'm just going to go ahead and say there's zero chance. Like if you look at the big holdings, like these are all pretty liquid things. I mean, Tesla might literally be the most liquid company in the world right now. But number two, in terms of like, is it going to go down another 50% from here? Like, I just look at these holdings and, you know, as someone that's not 
an aggressive gold investor, not a lot of things I would personally want to own. But actually, like this portfolio is a crazy, right? Like, if you look at what it was in like February of 2021, she owned all of these companies like Warhorse and like Ride that were just like literal zeros, companies that didn't really have business models. And now she owns a portfolio that, yes, it's a growth portfolio, but it's not crazy even if you compare to like what some of, you know, the growth hedge fund managers that are generally pretty well respected, the things they own. And it's like, if I look through this portfolio, like I said, if you're someone value oriented, like you're not dying to own these things. But I can see a bunch of things like, you know, in the top 20 that I think this is kind of a reasonable bet, like that both people would make like Roku, Teladoc, Zoom, even Coinbase, even though that ends up being oh, basically so, just so, trading. So, 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 so bad. It takes two to make a market. Beauty's the eye of the beholder. I would not own a single one of those. I would aggressively short Coinbase right here. I would aggressively short Zoom right here. So, you know, you do you, I'll do me. We're all entitled to our opinions. But, you know, we had Jeff Garbaz, who's just looking at technically for shorting's perspective. There's not a single, you know, there's like one stock out of the whole portfolio. It's not a fundamental view, just a sort of technical and short position view. And I'm saying from a fundamental view, I look at it, I think it's all a pile of shit. So I, I get it. You, you maybe think it's not that bad, but I, I'm not remotely tempted. And smart value guys that, that I've talked to looked at it, and they think it's a pile of shit as well. So it's a flow it, story, um, not so, a holding story. Sorry? Can I, it's a flow story. Yeah, the tide's going out. Uh, hi, uh, this is Prasanna. <laughs> I'm one of the uh, stroke neurologists. Um, you know, I just want to share regarding TeleDoc. I just uh, went to a American Stroke Association conference last week. So the prediction is, uh, you know, a lot of doctors are being burned out and stuff like that. So there is, a, for I'm just talking about TeleDoc. To start with, I think it's just right, wrong timing. Like, you know, Kathy would keep saying, you, you know, I'm planning for next five years. I'm sure Teledoc will triple or four times from this point if we are talking in five years. So the time horizon is so important. So it is not going to be triple or double in next two, three years, given a chance. I will quit my job right now and join a tele company because the way the patients are liking it and, you know, there is a lot of productivity going through tele. And, uh, you know, five to 10 years from now, all of us who are on this call will be contacting your physicians through TeleDoc or some other similar company. But TeleDoc is the leader in the field. So, uh, I mean, when technically and other stuff, yes, uh, it, it doesn't make sense. For example, Tesla, even today, how Tesla makes sense, it doesn't make any sense. But if you see like 10 year, 20 year down the line, these, especially I'm in healthcare industry, I know how it works. Uh, so I just want to throw it out there, uh, you know. Appreciate you, that. Yeah. Appreciate that. Th thank you so much for that. S yeah. Sammy, do you want to say something, Sammy? Sammy? Yeah, yeah, thanks. Um, just to, to respond to the Teladoc thing, there's a ton of companies trying to do the same thing as Teladoc, so they're not the only show in town. But I just wanted to share a perspective, just to play devil's advocate with you, about what you and Bob were talking about before on the overall market. You know, it's clear the Fed might remove some liquidity, but, you know, the S&P's down 10%. 
Uh, the QQQs are down almost 20. So you've had some liquidity come out already. And this market is heavily quantified right now. And I would think the quants have already like heavily gamed out exactly close to what's going to happen. And you've got 8 trillion or so on balance sheets of S&P corporations. So even 2 or 3 trillion coming out of the market, you still have a lot of cash out there. What do you think about that in general? One thing, I'll, George, I'll throw in is that the Fed is still buying bonds, so we have not seen, and Michael Howell, I think, would um, would agree with this, that we have not even seen a liquidity drain. And I and I think everybody's kind of hypersensitive to, uh, you know, we've been spoiled with great market returns, and, you know, the, the slightest move, this is not a bear market, and, um, you know, this is not even close. Uh, and the amount of liquidity that um, can be drained if needed to fight inflation, uh, we haven't even had anything yet. Does anybody have recent data on margin debt balances? Yeah, I tweeted that out. Um, you can look fine at my feed. It's it's coming down, but it's got a long way to fall. So uh, That's a catalyst for you. Yeah, well, it's already coming. It, it rolled over a few weeks ago, and it's, it's, it's headed in the suddenly direction. But it's still very high, so you're spot on. But I want to turn to someone who's smarter than all of us. And um, I don't know if Michael K. wants to respond to that or anything else about the market or anything else he's heard about Kathy. Michael, how are you? What's going on? What do you think of Michael? Hey, good uh, good evening. Uh, good to uh, catch up with you guys. I've been on one of these in a few uh, few days, so uh, always always fun to uh, to join you. And I appreciate uh, you having me speak. Um I'll touch on margin balances. Just make sure you're looking at it, though, as, as a share of the market cap overall, of the market cap of the uh, of the S&P or whatever index you're using. Because a lot of times people show that just on an absolute level. And margin balances are going to necessarily grow larger as the equity market gets uh, increases. So you just want to generally look at that as a share of total market capitalization of the S&P. Um, Can I counterpoint that? Sure. Market cap to GDP. Okay. All-time high. Sure, of course. I'm not sure what what the counterpoint is, though. I mean, crack, 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 they're, they're both true. It's not. It's, they're, they're both true. But, but, Michael, I agree with you. So you're right. you got to do it relative to market cap. However, it's also true that directionally, it's also interesting to look at, even if it's not quite as high as it's been. If it's sure. starting to, so there, there is there can be positive serial correlation depending on what the market's doing. So, yeah. So anyway, go, go ahead. What were you going to say? You but I, I wanted to jump, jump on. And uh, George, I just sent a tweet out. Uh, it's, it's a gift for you. Uh, I think you'll I think you'll like it. Uh, it was just, you know, we don't talk about Bitcoin a lot. Uh, I'm, I'm a, the chief investment strategist at Piper Sandler now. Uh, it's just not a huge part of our process. We're, we're more, much more focused on equities, mostly domestic and positioning, factor positioning, things like that. Um, so, yeah, I've literally written nothing on Bitcoin Definitely not my wheelhouse, but uh, got a bunch of questions from clients over the few weeks, last few weeks, and I always try to plug it into our process. And what I what I just posted on Twitter, uh, Bitcoin and the correlation of uh, a high beta trade has basically gone to one over the last two years or so. wasn't always that correlated, but you know, Bitcoin has been around that long. But if you look at the charts, uh, I tweeted. Um, I guess anyone can go see it now. Basically, going back the last two and a half years, the correlation of high to low beta. And Bitcoin is the same exact trade. And there's nothing I have more confidence in in our framework that 
high beta stocks are set to underperform pretty drastically over the next 12 to 18 you months. You know, my, my, Michael, even though you and I will meet someday, I knew there's a reason I liked you, all right? <laughs> no, but Michael, but no, Michael, it's a store of value. No, it's digital gold. Da, 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 da. Yeah, you, you got it, man. You got it. You my, you my new best friend, Michael. Yeah, I figured, and and I'd even have to, you know, it's it's always good. Yeah, you know, I like to put, out, I like to be able to stand behind uh, any, anything I put out, and anything I say, I always have something to stand behind it. So, uh, but you'll see, there's three charts. One is high beta versus Bitcoin, the last since 2019. The second uh, chart with an illustration is just our, our simple framework showing how beta uh, basically correlates with the macro cycle pretty perfectly. It's pretty much a macro factor. And so, if we're heading into a slowdown, high beta stocks are not where you want to be for the next 12, 18 months. Um, and then the third chart is one of global central banks, uh, one of the better ones that forecast this market cycle, and it's clearly headed straight down. So uh, there's nothing more I'm, I'm confident about than uh, you know basically shorting high beta stocks for the next year so, plus. And I would throw Bitcoin in that, given that correlation. So, 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 it's so, so you're telling me Kathy <laughs> Woods don't have a chance. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> Oh, I don't think we're going to have a deep enough recession to get some of those stocks uh, become attractive. Right. <laughs> In other words, I, you really right. need, you really need things to fall apart for something that doesn't have earnings to look attractive. And, and by the way, for everyone in the room, I did not pay him to come in here and say that. So there you go. <laughs> Michael, nah, nah. Michael, why don't you hang around? I'm sure there'll be some more questions. By the way, guys, sure. those of you don't know him, Michael's uh, one of the top strategists in the street. Always really sharp, cookie. What I really like, and Michael, maybe you could just repeat it for folks in the room. You made the observation the other day. Everyone gets all bad in shape with this growth value thing. I thought you made a great point. Is you were basically I was still your thunder, but the idea that it, it, it's both extremes that are going to do poorly. It's it's it, yeah. it, it, it's the living zombie value companies and the crap, ca- crazy Kathy Woodstock. So maybe you could just riff on that for a minute. Yeah, uh, I got to be careful what I say nowadays. With being at a big uh, public uh, pu- sure. public bank. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I would say you know, looking out, you know, we, we've had 15, 15 fantastic years for growth stocks since since the peak uh, of the value of value leadership back in 07, coinciding with the you know, kind of the peak of the global economy and the debt bubble. Uh, we've had great, you know, 15 great years of NASDAQ just crushing it day, uh, you know, week in, week out, year in, year out. I think it's outperformed 13 in the last 14 or 15 years. Uh, and of course, because we've had great monetary and uh, support. For that and zero you know, heading down to zero negative rates if we're indeed transitioning away from that world to more fiscal stimulus uh you know the backdrop for growth is definitely it's hard to see it being as good as it's been uh relative to value for the last 15 years and um and just you know i don't think at the same time though that means i'm not trying to scream a, a bullish value story because we're certainly not going back to the days of values heydays of the 80s and 90s when rates fell everyone levered up and earnings boomed, which was really what you need to get for uh, to get for value to work consistently, like it did uh, for most of you know the history we we know in the markets. So I think the answer is somewhere in the middle. Um, you know, there's value traps on the growth side of things, which they've all come in quite a bit this year. There's value traps in the value side of things, all the zombie companies. Uh, you know, what we've been recommending to a lot of our clients is telling them, you know, the market's not binary. There is something in between, in the middle. Uh, you can't really find a high quality value stock nowadays, kind of an oxymoron. And a lot of the growth stocks, again, uh, we, we kind of favor the more shorter duration, higher quality names there, which are you know, not as sexy as uh, uh, some of these high flying names. But again, if the, if, if the best days for that trade are behind us, 
Uh, I think you want to be stuck in the middle for for quite some time. We're, ne- we're neither going into a, a good backdrop for growth or value um, as far as we can see. So steady as she goes, you want to own the stuff in the middle between the 30-yard lines. You don't want to be down at the in the red zone on either. Yeah, and, and you're going to have to pay up a moderate value. You know, you're not, it's yeah. not going to be dirt cheap, but it won't be stupid expensive. So, and again, yeah, it kind of no, makes sense. That's a great point. All right, why don't you hang around, Michael? So let's do Dylan sure. and then Brian and then Storm. Dylan, what's up? Hey, thanks for bringing me on. I, I wanted to talk uh, just quickly about uh, private market valuations and specifically because I saw Kathy Wood going into the private market valuations. I've, I've been getting a lot of uh, ads for a company called Canva, and I did a, a little quick TD on them. And from June 2020 until April, or sorry, June 2020 to September 2021, the valuation nearly 7 x I wonder what you think will happen when private market valuations blow up as public market valuations have. Thank you. Michael, you want to take, take that, Michael? I'll take it. Um, no, I mean, they're going to, it's going to get interesting here because you know, the, 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 the when you're, when you're dealing with privates, you can market whatever you want. And I think we're going to come to the end of the first quarter here. And a lot of the uh, mutual funds that own some of these privates, Fidelities and T Rose of the world, they're going to have to mark this stuff down, and that's going to be good domino effect. So I think the privates are just, you know, they're just they're they're, they're in for a world of hurt. So I don't know if does that answer your question, Dylan. Yes, it does. All right, thanks. All right, so we got uh, who's next? I think it was Brian and then Storm. Brian, what's up? Hey, George. Thanks for doing this. Love when you do it. Appreciate it. Um, yeah, so let me just preface this with um, I don't want to talk about any specific companies. Um, it's just a sensitive time. And so to give my spiel, um, you know, it's it's a time where you've talked about how, you know, it's a very flow-driven market, right? And so anything in a, in a vacuum, looking at it in a vacuum, anything with a high multiple, this is the time where any miss-up you're going to be taken out to the woodshed and hammered but what people really aren't focused on which is kind of a, a broader dynamic and, and and i haven't really heard people talk about you know because it's so easy to just make money on going against some high multiple stocks is kind of the deeper games being played at some of these businesses and it's been going on for like the last two years and so i think that's like part two and three of what's just beginning and starting to unravel. And so, so for the people that actually, you know, do the work, dig into these businesses, you know, you, you can always say, okay, gun lags think, okay, 2023 recession. All right, fine. So earnings will go down as well as multiples, but there's also, there's also a balance sheet component here. And it's not so obvious as if, you know, the, the prior, the prior recession was mostly, you know, super levered, kind of funky uh, balance sheet loans and, and, you know, weird off balance sheet stuff. Um, but this time, you know, it, it's it's a little bit more opaque and, and, and all, all the stuff is off balance sheet. So, you know, just, you know, do your work, um, really think about what you're investing in and what, what is really the business. Like if the business is that I can fund myself with my operations or with just, you know, the cash that, that I've got raised from a recent deal. Okay, fine. 
But if, if you're in some other kind of business model where it, it really relies on some really strange, almost like repo market type activity. Um, so, gotta- so, but, but Brian, I got to interrupt you for a second. Is, and I'm a little bit older, so I'm not up with the vernacular. But I think one of the lines people use on Twitter all the time, it's like, tell me you're talking about Carvana without talking about Carvana. Is that where you're going with it? It's stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I'm not talking about Carvana specifically. No, I know not specifically, but that stuff like that. I mean, you were just talking, and I couldn't. There's a lot. There's a lot of stuff. Yeah, there, there, there there are a lot of companies like that. Exactly. Go on. There's a lot of there's a lot of companies like that. I I didn't want to get into a big thing on that. That's not my mo. Um, You know, a lot of people here know the story behind that. What's driving the business? Um, And people have very you know strong views one way or the other. Um, But there's there's a lot of things out there, and and you can just do the work and try to just understand, understand the games that people are playing. And, you know, the same, the same. So Brian, so Brian, your point is basically pay attention to balance sheets. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's balance sheets on balance sheet, off balance sheet, and really no understanding the extent of the accounting that allows you to pull forward. So, you know, it's not just like, okay, hey, COVID's over. It's like, hey, you know, we were a COVID story and we did this ridiculous kind of game where basically we pulled forward like four or five years of demand. And now it's a post-COVID world and you're just like, you're just like this regular company and the rest of the space in, is trades at like a third of the value. And, and somehow you're trading at this ridiculous premium. And so, you know, even though we had this like, reference point of and i'll just make up i'm not referencing this particular stock let's say like you had like a 400 dollars share price on a stock it's irrelevant you know just because it's trading now at like 75 dollars doesn't mean it can't be you know 30 dollars 20 dollars so so just like you guys gotta really reset your mindset <laughs> so to speak and, and really look forward it's 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 definitely a new time and, and it seems like math actually matters again so that's totally, totally. You know, that, that reminds me of a quote that I stole from somebody some months ago. It was something like, just when everyone thinks valuation doesn't matter, maybe it's the only thing that does matter. And so just when, you know, people think balance sheets and cash flow don't matter, maybe that's the only thing that does matter. So, you know, when people are just throwing shit against the wall because money's free, as Kathy Wood was doing, you know, you don't have to pay attention to such mundane things. Great, great observation, Brian. Appreciate it. Storm, you're up. What's up, Storm? Hey, um, George, I uh, just wanted to come up and share Michael's um, post. I hope he doesn't mind in the nest. I, I think that's excellent work to see the correlation. I know Michael Guyad talks about reversion to the mean. Um, you know, we're, we're definitely in a different market than we've ever seen before. So it's great you host this space and bring a lot of diverse mindsets that, you know, look at the market. But just wanted to come up and be helpful and, and uh, appreciate what what contributions everybody's making. Appreciate it. Thank, thanks. It's helpful. Thank you, Storm. All right, let's move on here. We got Adriana. Uh, you're up, and then uh, yeah, Adriana, what's up, Adriana? Yeah, hi. Um, I just wanted to ask a question about gold. So gold is actually more or less the opposite of Arc Invest. So what's your yeah, what are your I, I thoughts about gold? Uh, honestly, maybe it's because the room's going on for two hours. I don't really feel like talking about gold. I mean. Is anybody on stage have a strong feeling about gold? I, I just, I mean, it's, it, I have a lot to say. I just don't feel like doing it right now. Um, I don't know if any, I mean, I, I, I kind of, I kind of lost the plot on gold when real rates were collapsing. 
I thought gold should have done a lot better. That was my narrative. Didn't work. People saying, well, that's all my way into crypto. Now real rates are, are going up and gold's doing better. Maybe because people say it's coming out of crypto. There's a dollar. So honestly, I don't know what to say. Does anyone have a strong, do, do you have a strong, Adrian, do you have a strong view on gold? Yeah, I mean, in the last days, the move was quite strong upwards, uh, but I think it's because of the war. Um, and the miners are quite cheap, in my opinion. So I think when the price stays at 18, 1900 or even goes upwards, the miners could be very interesting in yeah, the coming I, months. I, I, I agree. I agree. But I, I don't know. I just think there are so many uh, more interesting things to play. I just, gold's kind of like, <clears throat> I mean, listen, playing the whole reflation thing. I got so many Canadian oil friends here. Like gold is just a complete freaking waste of time, and so it just hasn't interested me. Capital, you raising your hand. You got a thought on that, Capital? Capital? I don't. I don't have a thought on that. I just wanted to make one other point on this sure. margin debt point. Sure. The reason it's important not to look just at margin debt as a percentage of market cap is because you look at the Buffett indicator with market cap at two hundred percent of GDP. And that 200% of GDP is higher than the tech bubble and higher than 2008 and 2007. And those 40 times revenues shit codes that we are all familiar with now represent that 200% market cap of GDP. So now you have people at max leverage in companies that are buying multiples that don't make any sense. So we're going to have Michael, Mike, Michael K. That's your question, Michael K. Yeah, listen. I mean, I, I get I get the the scary chart of, of market cap to GDP. Um, I, you know, I think I, I'm more I'm more worried about a slowdown in the economy and what that means for earnings than than the starting point for valuation. Um, I actually kind of take a different approach to the market cap to GDP chart. Uh, you know, I don't think any of those charts really work at all as uh, as a valuation timing tool. You know, the correlation between everything from Schiller Cape to market cap GDP, the Fed model, you know, there's 20 different valuation models you can look at and t- 10, will they, 10 of them will tell you the market's cheap, 10 of them will tell you the market's expensive, but they all move together. They all get more expensive and cheaper together. And none of them are really good timing tools for the market. Um, with regarding to the market cap GDP, I, I just think, you know, if you just see what the government has done over the last 20 years, or actually the last 15 years, really since 07, uh, at trying to maintain uh, the economy and keep people employed, right? It's, it's, in, in the late 60s, the Fed just insanely blew up the money supply. They did it again. They had a more, you had a lot more velocity back then, though. Uh, nowadays, you just have the Fed pushing rates to zero to create the same effect uh, from an uh, asset price inflation. So market cap GDP is extremely high, absolutely. And if you compare it to countries, it's U.S. is probably one of the higher ones. But again, it's not a great way to pick stocks or country in ETFs, depending on their market cap to GDP. I, I bet you the U.S. market has beaten the cheapest country of market cap GDP by, you know, multiple multiples. And, and you probably wouldn't want to touch that market either. Um, there's a reason market cap GDP is higher in, in developed economies than emerging economies. Right. But, you know, I, I get it. I just don't think it's I think there's a lot of other re- ways to make money in the market than try to you know scream about that. Um, I, I don't. Think I don't. The, I don't mean to scream about it. Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah. No, I, I think I, it's I, a good proxy for where valuation is in the market, and yep. it's a good proxy when you see maximum leverage in that market <laughs> that they're paying peak multiples <laughs> and using debt to do so. Yeah, it's and it's all effect of of this machine, right? It, we can't. We should look at it. As, it's a byproduct of this machine. So as the machine 
as the rules change, as government policy changes from what we had been doing over the last 15, 20 years, perhaps that'll change uh, that market cap to GDP relationship. But that needs to happen. It's not going to just roll yeah. over on its own. But the point I, I was, I've been saying is that I think the market's too big to fail in that, you know, everyone thinks the Fed's done supporting the, the, the market here. Uh, you get a, give me a 20% correction in S&P and, you know, hitting the economy and the Fed's going to be the first one to start buying something because the market is so big now as a share of the economy, just like Thanks. wealth uh, um, government transfers are so big now as a share of income for consumers, the government has to keep the market up to avoid pitchforks in the street. Yeah. So it doesn't mean I'm bullish because of that by any means, but, but they're going to try. They're going to yeah. try. All right. They're going to try. Let's move on. So we're going to do Mark, Seth and Brad. Mark, what's up? Mark. Hi, I appreciate your time. Great, great call. I just wanted to say, um, you know, people looking at, you know, the S&P and the flows, I saw a chart last year was the most inflows by retail investors. They threw more money at ETFs than the prior 10, 12 years combined. And if you start, they're going to start losing money, which they're already doing. But think about it. Like Berkshire, their biggest position is Apple. 46% of Berkshire Hathaway is Apple. I mean, the last the last time this, and he hasn't even filed to sell on it yet. I mean, from a fiduciary responsibility, that's insane, okay? But on top of that, the last time he did this was Coca-Cola back in 2000, trading 100 PE. And then it did nothing for 12 years. Yeah, so, and Mark, yeah, Mark we, we've talked about the index flows a lot. And Michael Green is smarter than all of us. He's not in here today, but... He's talked about that a lot. And, you know, I actually look at, to your point, and you've seen this on my Twitter feed, the fact you had, what was it, $140 billion of inflows just in the last six weeks, to me, is incredibly bearish, not bullish. I mean, the market can't get out of its own way despite that. So I'm with I you. I couldn't agree with you more. I, I, I'm with you. If, if that passive thing ever goes the other way, Katie, bar the door. So thanks, sir. I appreciate it. Yeah, right, thank you for your time. Yeah, let, let's move on. So we're doing Seth and Brad. What's up, Seth? Seth? Hey, 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 George! Great call. Oh, by the way, uh, just just wondered what your view is on uh, Meli M E L I. Uh, it's trading at the P of what seven hundred something six forty. Yeah. So Seth, Seth, I'm the wrong guy to ask. I don't know if, if Michael Kane knows the stock. It, it, you know, it's supposed to be the Amazon of South America. Blah blah blah. I think it's crazy. The same guys who own that own Tesla and Zoom and all the other crazy stuff. To me, it's the prototype of the stock. The type of stock that's going to get absolutely destroyed in the market that I foresee. I don't know, Michael K. If you're familiar with Melly at all, you have an opinion. Uh, I can't comment on individuals. Individual yeah, names. all right. Well, well, well let's just it, it, it's it, it's an Amazon. Yeah. Anyway, so 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 my simple answer, Seth, is I, I think it's a disaster. The chart looks horrible. It's got all the factors you don't want to own. I'd run, not walk, as fast as possible away from that stock. Thanks for the question, Brad. You're up. What's up, Brad? Oh, hey, yeah, thanks, man. Uh, my point is pretty brief. Uh, I just wanted to offer a comment about gold, which is that if we actually have any kind of sincere deflation, it's not safe, um, e even then. You know, people think it's going to be a hedge during all this inflation, but, uh, you know, things are looking pretty pretty bad out there. Um, and, you know, people are, are eager to be bullish about just about anything right now. I know. You, yeah. you, you make a very good point, because when you get the deflation, as the saying goes, anything that's not bolted down gets sold. So you're yeah. right. And, and I, I just... I don't know gold. I, I'm sure you. I'm sure we all have this experience with certain assets, certain stocks, and you, you just when, you, when you're out of sync and you can't figure it out, it's in a too hard pile. It's like gold to me. Yeah, everyone's jumping up and down. It's starting to act better, 
and it's probably something to do with the war. So, you know, if the Ukraine thing calms down, let's see what it does. But honestly, I mean, some of my Canadian oil mafia friends, I got, you know, I don't want to waste my time with gold when I can buy, you know, some Canadian oil thing on two and a half times cash flow that's buying back stock and raising their dividends and is growing and is geared to an oil price, which is going to go a lot higher. So to yeah, me, gold enough. is just bo- is boring. So I don't know. It just, just doesn't do anything for me. All right. Any more questions? Because otherwise, this has been a great room. We've been going at it for two hours and 20 minutes. Um, I can go for another 10 minutes, but, you know, I don't want to don't want to keep people. Uh, if anyone's I just got a wanted question, to, to say, uh, you know, we also we happen to have Matt, uh, Matt Water in the room and who follows Cole. And uh, I don't know if you got a chance to look at Cole, George, but. Uh, yeah, you know, well, if, if so, hey, but I know. Can he come up? Can you can you call him up? It would be, be always good to hear more points of view. Uh, so hey, if you can call him up, that'd be great. Who's that? Trying to get in here. Hey, guys, can you hear oh. me? Yeah, hold on one second, Matt. Just one second. Yeah, just hold on one sure. second. Uh, I recognize C-Car. We're going to do C-Car and then Matt. C-Car, what's up? Hey, uh, thanks for taking the time to uh, give us your advice. Um, I'm just looking for one particular sector, if you could mention, that'll be good for the next 100 days. 100 days? This is – you've come to the wrong room <laughs> – uh, I get in a lot of trouble. Like I deplore setups and day trading and options. There are plenty of rooms on this app. You can find that garbage. I think those people are getting destroyed. They're going to continue to get destroyed. We're investors in this room. So, you know, okay, so it's funny. So, hey, you could probably speak to it. I was only in the room briefly last night under an alias, as you know. There was a room last night where they were taking shots at me, three aces, and some other people. You know, you got all these wise guy day trader option types and they never put up the track record and they pump and dump $5 stocks and you know, everyone wants setups. So it was funny. There's one guy the other day, he's having a real meltdown. I think he's lost money eight weeks in a row. So the world has changed. So if you want something for the next hundred days, you're going to have to go somewhere else. Sorry about that. Uh, Matt, what's up, Matt? Matt? Uh, sure. Uh, <clears throat> so, uh, so he mentioned I've been following the coal markets for about about fifteen or twenty years, and so uh, we finally got something to be a little bit excited about. Although, um, <laughs> you know, I've been long Arch Coal this whole time. Uh, we were looking for companies that were increasing production into this big, into this big price increase. You know, as uh, as regulation has has clamped down on supply and supply goes away, whenever demand goes in the other direction, well, supply just isn't elastic like that. So. Uh, it's unable to respond. Uh, we've seen that in in pretty much any you know critical material that's going to be a part of the energy transition going forward. I think it's going to be a pretty big decade for metals. But um, I think for coal, we're kind of at the <clears throat> at the peak of this part of the cycle price wise. And the question now for you know that sort of inflationary pressure isn't isn't like is it going to turn around? I think it probably will. We have one round of Chinese restocking on the Met coal side uh, that should be complete by end of April. <clears throat> but uh, the question is, where is it going to stick? And used to be back in the day when I started my career, the long-term price for Metco was like $150. Long-term price for Newcastle Thermal Coal was, you know, in the <clears throat> in the high double digits. And uh, you know, I don't I don't think that's the case anymore. I think we've we've destroyed enough supply that uh, longer term uh, longer term prices are going to be uh, are going to stick higher, like a lot of other inflationary pressures. That's kind of been the trend here recently. Uh, so I'm not not as long coal as I as I have been over the past year. It was very long arch um, after this earnings call, which was really good. Uh, you know, I've pulled back down to what is a pretty normal size position, but um, uh, there's still probably some some uh, 
some uh, juice left in that orange to squeeze. It's just a question of how how bullish the you know the management's uh, teams are going to be on this next round of earnings calls. But that's yeah. So man, I know you like Arch. Any other ones worth having a look at? I mean, I, I know I'm a, kind of a cult tourist, but any yeah. other names look interesting to you, Matt? Yeah. So the highest beta name in the metallurgical coal space, which feeds into the steel sector, is probably Alpha Metallurgical Resources. They have a report coming up, I think, in the middle of next month. I want to say March, right, right around St. Patrick's Day or uh, the Ides of March somewhere. So um, their their report is going to be, you know, kind of part and parcel with what Arch has reported. They're going to report really strong domestic sales with prices over probably a couple hundred dollars at the mine. They're going to report, uh, you know, 20, 22 guidance that's that's going to be commensurate with where the forward curve is, which is standing about two thirty five or so uh, per ton versus cost a cost structure. Higher cost structure for them, probably in 120, but they're they're going to make, you know, 90, 100 dollars per ton, uh, you know, 20 million times over. Uh, so those guys are going to have a really good year. And and really, what what we want to hear from management is what's 2023 going to look like. On the thermal coal side, probably not as good as as what it has been for uh, for U.S. producers. But um, on the export side, Whitehaven mentioned in their call yesterday, there's just not uh, there's not enough supply coming on. So domestically, we like uh, Consol. Uh, they have a long wall coming on by Q4. Uh, and a Metcoal property coming on that should be fully up and running by the end of the year. So they're set to go produ- grow production. Um, I think Alliance ARLP is in a pretty good position to capture a little bit of market share uh, in terms of thermal coal exports. Uh, and then uh, uh, Whitehaven announced they're going to buy back shares. Uh, we've seen a couple of price target increases on them, Australian producers. So, so we like that going up to around the, the $4 range. Um, and then the last one I would probably mention is Warrior Metcoal. Warrior Metcoal is an Alabama-based producer that's been having a strike. Uh, with uh, uh, The union's been on strike basically for a year. Um, I think uh, that's probably going to wind down over the course of the year. They'll begin to increase production again. That's a very well-branded product out into the market. So, uh, And then they have another project called Blue Creek that they could bring on. Uh, so you know, over the next four to five years, they could increase production into what is probably going to be a relatively sticky market we'll have we'll have a down cycle and again the question is just where where does it stick that's great um appreciate that cole something it's funny it's 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 cheap as all hell but uh you know now it's it's got another round of momentum we'll see what happens so hey do you want to say something yeah just a question for matt so uh just um i don't have any much information in regards to coal so these might be basic questions but mm-hmm. in regards to the macro outlook for i mean since they're price takers these companies what's the outlook looking like you mentioned that you scaled back does that mean that you're not as bullish on uh you know prices moving forward um for um, that space or just if you could talk about that thanks yeah so it's, it's not necessarily i'm not bullish on it. it's just we're, we're at an inflection point right if you think about thermal coal as a seasonal uh, seasonal demand component, right? So we're we're moving out of temperatures are really cold, uh, and there you know potentially isn't enough natural gas in storage. To well, you know temperatures are getting warmer, uh, plants will be able to rebuild stockpiles. That should that should alleviate the pressure from the demand side as we head into shoulder season. Uh, now I'm not a weatherman. I don't know what summer is going to look like. You know it's it's hard to say going forward. But the the other issue with with U.S. domestic production is is rail performance. Um, rail, rail companies over the past uh, decade, pretty much since I've been involved in the business, have deprioritized coal to a large extent. So, you know, if you imagine uh, rail also has a labor problem, they have a labor shortage. And so they're also unionized. So putting on a new crew to go and pick up additional coal tons, A, is not a priority for the company. B, you have to hire up to do it. And, and C, you have to hire up through the union. So the, 
the pace of addition of crews is, is going to be really sluggish. That's going to be one hurdle that uh, you know, producers will have to overcome. It can be done uh, if, you, if you know you're going to produce it. If you've sold the tons ahead, um, it certainly can be done. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, again, like that's those are just some of the dynamics that are that are that we're going to have going forward. I think from a pricing perspective, rate of change wise, we're going down uh, from here on thermal. Uh, Met coal may have a relatively strong next few months once once the Olympics uh, finish up and uh, steel plants begin to restock again. They've been out of the market and prices have been incredibly buoyant. So so I think the next month or so could potentially shape up to be OK. But then as we head into summer and that and that seasonal demand begins to, to pull back, um, I think you'll see prices relax. The curve reflects that right now. It, you know, it's backward dated. But again, it's, when we get into fall, I think we'll see where the true sort of bottom is in the market. And, and at least right now, it doesn't it, it used to be we could take 90 percent of the cost curve and that mark could could mark the low. I don't think that's going to happen this time. I think everybody can uh, can make a go of it. And there will be a little bit a little bit of production increase toward the back half of the year. So um, I, I need to see I need to see some production data by mid-year to make a really good call on price. But I, I think we stay, you know, at, at least, you know, with the bottom at or near 200. Appreciate that, Matt. All right. I was just going to say, Matt, like typically on the oil side, you know, when we see these companies, when they decide not to produce too much, that's something to be happy about because you're going to be able to get more of the value as a shareholder, right? So isn't that the case? Wouldn't that be the case on the coal side as well? Um, If they're increasing production, not necessarily a good thing um, since they're not getting credit for, you know, what, what they have rather than focusing on returning that value through through buybacks and and uh, and dividends, Matt. Yeah, I think how how the companies are going to are going to do that this time around is they're already focusing on mm-hmm. next year. So we're already we've already heard um, both Consol and Arch talk about they've contracted thermal tons, especially ahead uh, for an additional year. Um, so just having that stability helps with you know making sure rail providers are going to be okay um, and and that sort of thing. All right. So any incremental tons are probably going to come from. Uh, going to come from export markets, and that market has been tight. So, I, th- I think prices come down, but the way they add value to shareholders is by returning production. I mean, we're not really increasing production; we're just returning it to previous levels, um, and then capturing uh, a little bit of value, uh, you know, outside of where uh, you know where domestic production lies. At least for the U.S. guys. All right. So we're going to do two more. Two more guys want to ask questions, and then I'm going to shut it down. So if you want to start another room, that's fine. But we have Frank, and then Br- we have Frank and Brad. Frank, what's up? Hey, George. Uh, so I have expected some of the small cap oil, oil names to outperform the big guys like, like Chevron. So I've, I've been following this company, Callan Petroleum, and I, I've expected them to do twice, you know, what Chevron is doing from a performance standpoint. But that hasn't happened. Um, like, do you have any idea why, why that's the case? One, and do you think there will be a better entry point to the energy trade? You're asking why the U.S. oil, small oil guys haven't done better than the big ones. Is that the question? Yes. All right. So, so I can't speak to that. I can say that the small Canadian oil stocks have been on fire. I don't know what's going on with the small U.S. guys. I mean, so Haber, Marcellus, you got any thoughts on that? So the difference with the small Canadian ones versus the American ones, the American ones ran up quicker and faster than the Canadian ones. So what's taking place is now that those have run up, um, you know, the Canadian ones are running up now just because it's been a delayed response. And as just as part of, you know, it's an easier access to capital in the U.S. versus Canada. And that's why. Uh, another quick question, Frank, is how did you come across the name 
Macallan Petroleum? Uh, well, I I bought it at the at the pandemic lows, um, and I kept adding to. But it like, what attracted it. you? Like, what brought the name to your attention? It was a small cap, and you know, it appeared that my thesis on energy could play out more significantly on that name versus a Chevron, and it was playing out better. You know, no, no, but cap. Frank, what I mean is like relative to all the other small caps, like why, what, like what distinguished this name from all the others for you? Oh, oh, so, so for me, it was, it was purely based on, you know, their, their local, I, I live in Houston, Texas, you know, so I, I, I'm an engineer in oil and gas, you know, I, I'm familiar with the company and um, I know people who've worked for Callan, you know, I have like, you know, more knowledge than, you know, like the investor on, on Callan. So it was just based on, this is a small cap. I know about this company. Um, I can I can expect better better uh, performance than mm-hmm. Chevron, and that was happening. But this year, it hasn't been the case at all. Um, and how do you define s- small cap? Like, what's uh, what's the cap size for small cap for you, Frank? Uh, less than ten billion. Okay. All right. Yeah. So mm-hmm. the 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 small caps we're talking about on the Canadian end is less than a billion. All right. So let's let's move on. All right, so I want to bring this. I want to bring this room to an end shortly. Um, we got a few questions. A few guys left here. We got Brad, Joe Schmuckatelli, and uh, Carpathia. Uh, Brad, what's up? Hey, y'all. I'm Brad. Uh, thanks, Mr. Abbas. Thank you very much. And unfortunately, that is my real name. So here's the question: uh, Mr. Klaus Schwab and Mr. Paulson, Mr. Chi, Mr. Fink, Mr. Dalio, in the ESG funds, should I be worried? about the dollar quickly or rather over the next year, say. Thank you. Thank you very much again, Mr. Abbas, and thank you all. This has been badass. And, uh, and and George, most importantly, Brad, don't... <laughs> George, uh, Brad, Brad, well. Brad, 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 I'm not sure I understand the question. What's the question, Brad? I'm concerned. That, and yes, sir, thank you for adding his name, but he's so overused. Um, sir, I'm a little concerned that they may all act in unison in a coordinated effort to jeopardize our dollar. And we're, we're weak internally right now. Yeah. That, you, you know what, you know what, that, that's a horn excessive a question. I don't want to get into it at this late hour. We, yes, should, we should, we should discuss that question in another room. Cause I just, that does, that's that whole Davos crowd, which I have really strong feelings about. So if you just hold that for another room, I'd appreciate it. All yes, right. We're going to Schmuckatelli and Carpathia. Schmuckatelli, what's up? Frank, hit me up in the DMs. I could tell you, I could tell you everything you want to know about Callan. Um, it's it's the anti-Canadian oil company. Three point seven billion in debt, sixty-five dollar hedges. That's why they suck. And I could tell you more than anybody in this room wants to hear. So, you want to hear why Callan's underperforming? I'll let you know about it. Feel free to reach out to me. That's all I. That's all I have to say. Thanks, but I mean, he, he he must have done very well. I mean, if he picked it up during COVID, he's it's up a thousand percent. All right. Yeah, it did okay until June of last year, so hey, and it really hasn't done anything since. So when oil was at uh, in the '60s, it's at the same price as it is now. Callan is Callan. The share price of Callan in June is the same as it is now. And again, I'm happy to tell anybody who wants to hear about it what I know. But there's Thanks, a reason Joe. for the underperformance. Thanks, and Joe. and and That's just great. an unpaid, you know, service announcement. The Canadians do everything differently. They pay down their debt. They don't hedge. They 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 prioritize shareholder value, and uh, that's why they are the superior investor investment on the right. planet today. That's all. Amen. Amen. All right, Carpathy, what's up? Thanks, Joe. Carpathy, hey, I want to I want to second that on Callan. Um, 
you know, my question, you know, and um, I agree with the Canadians and my question is more, I guess, is we're gonna, we started with Kathy and uh, I'll try to end it with Kathy. And, and it's more a psychological one. I'm sitting there. I purposely am at 8,500 feet. I have 20 clients. Um, you know, some of them, you know, they have external advisors. And I just, I, I've been doing this 37 years, ran a small fund. Anyway, long story short, my jaw drops when I listen to some of this stuff because 37 years doing it. Does anybody out there have, you know, a, a, a good feel into the psychology? Because my, my window is so small. My people will go back and they'll talk to their J.P. Morgan guy or they'll, and I, I can I can just almost feel it like whatever bullshit they got told gets, you know, whatever I told them gets negated. Like I'm telling them for 15 months, you need to be slowly feeding, raise your cash, get defensive. This is, you know, yada, 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 everything that everybody is on here talking. You know, when I when I saw Kathy or listened to it on this call and I had to drop off, I'm listening to you guys and I'm listening to this and I'm like, does the general high net worth person or retail guy like my mother, woman, like, do they believe that bullshit? How do they, they just seem, it just seems so complacent to me. Yeah, so, and, so yeah. And so, I, I see a train wreck. No, you're, you, 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 if you were in the room earlier and you've been in other rooms of that, you know how, what I think of Kathy and I could talk for days about her. I think she epitomizes everything that's wrong with this market. Uh, pays no attention to valuation, does shitty work chases narratives um and it, it, it has big press big presence in social media i think the problem is that you have so many new investors coming to this market post grace financial crisis in the last dozen years they don't know any different you've been doing it 37 years i suspect you got some gray hair like i do i've yep. seen this i've seen this movie before i know how it ends and i've been yelling about this for months and months and months and now all the knuckleheads in cnbc are starting to talk about stuff we were talking about last November. So I'm yeah. with you. Anyone who understands financial history, anyone who understands basic finance, you know, can see that she's a charlatan. You know, it's Garrett Von Wagner, you know, Mundernet, you know, Ryan Jacob, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kevin Landis, all, the, all those characters. Again, you know, what's amazing too in social media. I got to be careful what I, what I say. I mean, people have said, uh, you know, I, I was like, oh, I'm the Joe Rogan. First people say, oh, you're the Joe Rogan of, of, of Fintwit. And I'm like, well, wait a second. I'm not so sure I want to be that guy anymore. But then I was like, no, no, I'm the Archie Bunker of Fintwit. But people <laughs> just, people are just they don't understand basic finance. And I'm really outspoken. In fact, I see a guy at Dami's in the office audience. I don't know if he wants to come up and talk. We'll, we'll give him the floor. But, you know, I just think and I'm not picking on guy, but I just think CNBC is, is one of the worst at trying to cater to eyeballs and, 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 and Kramer who used to be a friend, but I can't respect him anymore. Um, it's just, they're corrupt. They're just thoroughly corrupt. And so I, I'm going to hurt. People. Oh yeah, totally. They're going to hurt know people. What, and, you, know, you know what? This is not a game. You know, it's not a game. They think it's a game. It is not a game. That's why I get, I, 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 go I, ahead. I open my email and, 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 and a guy writes a three page email that I'm too hard on the fed. And I'm like, what do you mean? I'm too hard on the fed. Well, they saved us from this. They saved us from that. And I asked the question, it's like, well, how did we get in this position? Who put us into the mortgage mess? You know, what about 98, 99? 
and I, I you know, crickets. But exactly, this is gonna hurt. This is gonna hurt real totally. people. Totally, oh, Carpathia, you and I, you're my new best friend. I just DM'd you. We should talk more. I'm totally with you. So, All right. So uh, we, I don't want to get into a bromance here. The hour's getting late. All right. Thanks for that. Thanks for hey, that. Carpathia. Thank you. All right. So, so George, I was only your best friend for 20 minutes. There you go. Uh, you already got a new one. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> it's the speed. The speed's Tinder or whatever it is. Speed dating. All right. So, um. Now, now we got Connor. Connor, what's up? Yeah, man, love the energy in this room. It's a real good time. Um, I think like what you were saying about understanding basic financial history. I mean, if you if you understand the thesis of what like these uh these arc investors and types of investors like that are looking at, any of the technology that they're seeking to bring to market or help bring to market is at least 5, 10, 15 years out, if that. So why not with understanding of these financial markets, you understand that it's, there's going to be drawbacks. There's going to be black swan events. There's going to be things you can't prepare for. Why is there no preparation for these downsides? And like you said, and, sure. anybody could have seen, anybody could have seen the, what's happening now. You said you were talking about it back in November. I remember being in these spaces back in November listening. And, uh, yeah, it's just crazy that uh, you, the thesis is so built out on these long models. Appreciate it, no Connor. I got to run. I, of downside. Yeah, thanks, Connor. I got to run five minutes. We're going to let Guy Adami back clean up, and then we're going to close the room. Mr. Adami, welcome to the stage. What's up, man? Hey, guys, this has been fantastic, and I feel like I walked into a bit of a buzzsaw here. But And I don't want to speak – you know, I can't really speak about – everybody else on CNBC, I'll speak for myself and everything you've said in terms of warning signs, we've been trying to point them out for a while. And I've said, I've written dozens of times and I believe this with my, you know, all my heart that some of the, of the many villains of the 21st century. And there are many at the top of that list is going to be central bankers, specifically our federal reserve. And if you don't believe that you're just not paying attention. So you know, again, we've tried to point these things out. What, I have, what I've learned, and I think you've learned as well, you know, people say they want to hear the truth. The reality is people want to hear what helps them get through the day, get to bed at night and wake up in the morning. And sometimes the truth is painful. And I think we're on the precipice of that right now. Guy, I'm, I'm a huge fan. I appreciate your candor and honesty. Uh, without mentioning names, there are some folks, and you know who I'm talking about, some guys like that wear ponytails that run around saying price is truth. They don't look at the way the world you do. Your friend, Dan Nathan, we were in another room the other day, and he didn't take it personally. And I said, I'm not going against you, Dan. I'm just going against CNBC. And he very matter-of-factly said, hey, you know, they've done the surveys, and there's a reason people want to hear all the trade setup bullshit and blah, 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 because it's eyeballs. And so you're a good guy. You get it. Dan Nathan gets it. But unfortunately, the commercial aspect of it, you know, enters uh, into a lot of people's uh, thoughts. It's not just CNBC. I mean, you, you know, I'm sure you've been in some of these other rooms here. This is a real room, as you can tell. Other rooms, all these day trading charlatans who are buying options. They never put up performance records. And the problem is we had just too much easy money for too long. So, guy, last question. I mean, it looks to me like people are going to get an education. The only question is, as my father used to say, you can do it by precept or by experience. Precept is much more economical. It looks to me like the public is going to get a very expensive education. What would you say to that? Yeah, no, I agree with you. Unfortunately, I think that's the case. And, and the, the reality is uh, throughout history, that's been the case where people need to learn the hard way. 
You know, and again, I know we're up against the clock and, and I don't want to keep people too long. But one of the many things that have upset me over the last couple of years, you know, is this belief, you know, this misguided belief that amongst many things, you know, as long as you hold on to that stock, by definition, it can't go lower. And I think, you know, yeah. we're learning the hard way that that's not the case. And it really upsets me again that when you try to educate people and try to sort of allow them to see what we've seen again, I've been doing this for 35, 36 years now. There is the other side of this mountain, and I think we're about to uh, find out what's on the other side. Again, and real quick, you know, a guy like David Tepper will come on the network and say very elegantly, you know, with, with the Fed is adding liquidity to the system, you don't fight the Fed. And by being bearish, you're effectively doing that. Well, if they're doing a 180 here, which I do think they are going to do because they need to, if you're bullish right now, you are effectively fighting that same Federal Reserve that you shouldn't have fought. When they were adding liquidity to the system, guy, amen. Can I? Want, we have. I'm going to make a request on behalf of the 700 people in this room. Could we get you to come to a room? We do these regularly. A lot of high caliber people in here. You see Michael Cantorowitz next to you, uh, Bobby Justice. We've had a lot of really good people in here. I think. I think we'd all get along great. So if we can invite you to come back to a room, we'll make you the featured speaker. It's it's it's, it's really a good time. No, it's not, I'm honored to be. I appreciate. I do appreciate you allowing me to speak. I've enjoyed everything that I've heard, and thank you, thanks for letting me join in. No, we'll we'll have you back. And with that, boys and girls, we're going to bring this to an end. Two hours and forty five minutes. You guys are going for punishment. We'll do it again before too long. Everyone, take care and have a good night.